Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Front of the Echo, two great stories in the front of the Echo today. Skibbereens, Paula Donovan and Finta McCarthy, European champions again. And next to it from uh, West Cork to East Cork, down to Yall, where Sarah Horgan says, Yall businesses are benefiting. In fact, businesses down in Yall are expected to reap the benefits of Iron Man for the 52 weeks of the year. It was that good across the entire... And it was a lot longer than two or three days. You know, I mean, it's the, the, the build-up started uh, early last week. So your business is benefiting from a surge in profits this morning, courtesy of the weekend's hugely successful Ironman event. Uh, the Echo says that a number of businesses opened as early as 4 a.m., to cater for the overwhelming demand generated uh, by the weekend's competitions. A buddy of mine, Kevin Hennessy, was feeding me videos and photographs right across the weekend of the activities both within Ironman as a competition and everybody down there literally enjoying the beautiful town of y'all. So it was a real win-win. It was fantastic. Chris Minternick from Cork. It just took over 8 hours and 38 minutes to complete the Ironman. A 3.8 kilometre swim, a 180 kilometre bike course and a 42.4 kilometre run, which is a marathon, I guess. Two and a half thousand of them in that kind of heat. Well done to everybody involved. Um, there, I'll come back to that again in a, in a few minutes' time uh, because uh, there's lots more to report down down East Corkway, but it was just fantastic. Uh, meanwhile, I wish to God we could say the same about uh, how our country is run, our education system. You see the Irish Times this morning? I mean, for a student going through the Irish exam system or parents worried about you know how well they'll do in exams, setting them up for, you know, exams shouldn't really define your career path I know I understand that but we still have them nonetheless how would you feel if you heard uh, that um, the state examination commission is hiring and has to hire unqualified trainee teachers to help them mark to mark the junior and the leaving certificate papers why because of a shortage of qualified applicants why aren't more uh, teachers coming forward uh, to mark the leaving certificate and the junior certificate exams. They're paid for them, aren't they? There's extra dosh in it. Why do they have to turn to unqualified trainee teachers to do something as important as marking junior cert and leaving certificate uh, papers? I mean, it 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 it's it beyond uh, comprehension, really. It is so stupid and unacceptable. At the same time, then, within from education to health, And this is something we've dealt with over the past, uh, I don't know, certainly the last couple of years, but very much so in the last few months. The problems within the ambulance service and the burnout and the stress um, and the sheer exhaustion of staff working within the uh, ambulance service means that they're leaving. They're quitting. I was reading about a guy this morning, apparently, uh, this is unrelated. He's a bomb disposal expert. He's a bomb. He he, He disposes and deactivates and makes safe bombs. He quit. Because people stacking shelves in supermarkets, no disrespect to them, were being paid more money than them. So he quit. Stress, worry, uh, and anxiety in his job, and the pressures of the job. So anyway, that's happening. Uh, root and branch, really. They're just leaving the ambulance service. And it's, that's one of the reasons why, of course, um, you know, the ambulance call at times get worse and worse and worse. They're, they're looking for better jobs. And people in healthcare are working you know, in jobs that they just haven't got, you know, um, any real happiness in and they're going into other uh, career paths. So that's, unfortunately, a couple of stories, one in education and one in health. What is it with people who film things? Imagine the Garda Shikana now uh, at the weekend has come out and appeal to people not to share footage of events leading up to the death of Babs Connolly. Now, Babs Connolly uh, was beaten up and fell uh, and he died. Uh, 
he was a 47-year-old man, suffered fatal injuries in Athlone in the early hours of Saturday morning. He was uh, heading back to his hotel room from a, a stag party or something. Two characters then who will appear in court, so I can't say much more about that. Uh, have been uh, charged with his with his death. But it was filmed by people um, and then it was all over social media, apparently, I'm told. That's why the Sun front page this morning says Gowls filmed stag do killing. Imagine doing that. Imagine doing that. It's hard to even imagine, isn't it? Anyway, two charged after the stag party death. It's a front page in many of this morning's red tops. Something that we mentioned last week, they're, they're trying to put some structure to this now, which is the landlord tax break where they're going to get a tax break just literally to stop them leaving the rental market in next month's budget. Um, the tax breaks are part of a bigger €1 billion Euro, uh, cost to, of living package. Isn't it interesting that they can find all sorts of tax breaks and initiatives to keep re- landlords in the private rental market, but they can't pay people in health and education enough to want them to enjoy and like the job that they do. I always think that that's extraordinary. They can find it for some things, but not for other. And then apparently the cabinet are divided over this new uh, 30% tax rate. The whole idea of Veradker's plan is to, um, you know, make life easier and to, to perhaps save money for nearly a million people, middle income earners, who get up and go out to work in the morning. Uh, and they're figuring that it could mean an extra thousand euro a year in families' pockets. So that's what that 30, 30% tax rate's all about. If you're out and about today and you do happen to see Garda Shikona on the beat, you will notice they will be wearing a new uniform, a funky one. Much better for them, really, because the old ones were clunky and old-fashioned and probably got in the way of them doing their job efficiently. But from now, you will notice them in a brand new look. And that will include bright yellow and dark navy blue soft shell and waterproof jackets. Lovely jackets. A sky blue polo shirt. So the shirt with the tie is gone. Ties are gone completely now. So a sky blue polo shirt replacing the conventional shirts and the ties. Looser fitting trousers with large pockets on the outside thigh. So much, much nicer, snazzier. And you'll see them. They're wearing them since seven o'clock this morning. On a very serious note, though, eating disorders, lads, eating disorders, never more prevalent. More on that in a few minutes time. Uh, But eating disorders in this country, money has been set aside for it. But would you believe me if I told you that in the year 2022 so far, no money has been spent out of a budget of 2.2 million euro with regards to helping young people with eating disorders who are literally dying in front of us. So the Mail have managed to get the HSC figures showing that of a budget of two and a quarter million allocated to eating disorders amongst young people, nothing has been sent, spent. Less than a euro has been sent, spent so far this year on developing eating disorder treatment services. Uh, Emma O'Sullivan was on the air with me some weeks ago who had to set up her own GoFundMe to help save her own life because of her eating disorder. Imagine that, going public to raise money because she can't get it within the health system. But yet there's 2.25 million just unspent up to the month of August. Um, I don't know what the figure is for last year. Wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't the same. No data is available. I guess they blame COVID. Emma set up a GoFundMe. It's now at just 14,000 euro. She has a target of 60,000, literally, to help to fix her, make her well. 
so that she will continue to live. There's lots then with regards to uh, trans issues. Obviously, we dealt with that on the air last week, and I have many texts and emails which I come back to. It's an interesting development now with regards to the Rose of Tralee. You can be older now entering the Rose of Tralee. It was 28, now it's going to be 29. Also, they've modernized it to be more diverse and inclusive, so married women can also enter the Rose of Tralee, and trans women as well. So somebody that would have been born male, biologically, transitioned to female, can enter the Rosa Tralee. Um, many other stories then regarding health-related matters, which I'll come back to throughout the course of the morning and what have you. But I, I know Freya is not Wally the Walrus, right? Two different walruses, I'm told, because I thought maybe at one stage it could have been the same walrus. But the Norwegian authorities have killed a walrus, Freya, a 600-kilogram walrus. I'm reading from the UK Times this morning. Because um, she became too much of a tourist attraction and people wouldn't leave her alone and she was getting too stressed out because of the proximity of sightseers. They thought the best thing to do would be to put her down. Don't know whatever happened to Wally, but certainly Freya the walrus was on a bit of a tour as well. Came from the Arctic and was down around the UK at one stage, don't know whether she ever came or neck of the woods, then went to Holland, then Denmark and up to Norway where sadly she met her end. Um, lines open, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106 and we're off and running after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Yes, indeed. Lovely text coming in about Ironman. Here's one, for example. Frank says, three cheers to the organisers of the All Ironman and Yall City Council. I think a lot can be learned how to put on events like this by others, particularly with regards to proper toilet facilities and spotless streets well done to the people of y'all uh, says uh, Frank who was down there if you were down there you'd love to share your own thoughts it seemed to have been absolutely fabulous certainly with regards to the, the videos and stuff that, that I saw so I'll come back to that text 0868104106 lots of competitions and giveaways something that I mentioned on air uh, on uh, Friday might have been Thursday or Friday last week was an article that I read by uh, Lucy Kellaway uh, for many years she was a financial journalist with the Financial Times um, and then uh, quit journalism trained to be a teacher and then spent some years teaching in the, the our equivalent to their secondary schools in the UK. She writes articles from time to time for the uh, for the Financial Times. I thought you might be interested in it because it's talking about, and not necessarily talking about COVID now or the pandemic, but it hasn't helped. But certainly when you hear of untrained, unqualified teachers marking Irish exams uh, this uh, year's leaving certificate and junior certificate, you'll be really, you'd throw your hands up in the air and say, What's the point? But she read, wrote an article in the Financial Times uh, last week, and she says um, she actually didn't know even where to start. She says she's got twenty-five students in her own in her own class, and she says um, she says this is probably the most fragile, inadequately prepared, unhappy group of students to ever collect their exams. Uh, they missed half the work uh, as they were incarcerated in homes. She says that it was the worst of times when they were cooped up away from friends and relations without any rituals of life that would keep them sane. And, and we know we know of that, how difficult it was for different sections of society. But at this, in this conversation, I'm talking about, um, you know, the R equivalent to leaving certificate students. She said, what I didn't know was just how widespread the distress would be and how long it would last. She said, I always had no idea how difficult it was going to be to make up the, the lost teaching time. She said the anxiety epidemic in children of all ages all over the country is even more marked than I had ever thought. 
She quotes half a million children being affected um, by issues involving anxiety, stress, worry, um, because of the effects primarily of, of lockdown. Um, the article is much more complex than that, though, because it actually drills into is it really mental health issues within kids or are, are they imagining it? Are they being told it? They do talk at the number of young people in the article with probable mental disorders going up significantly. Uh, she says that um, she teaches in a girls' school and she, she says in the article that it seems to be girls who seem to be suffering worse, increasing in Ireland more so than boys with mental health issues. Um, and an ever-increasing of 16 to 18-year-olds, she says, uh, self-harming. And she says that the first and most obvious signs uh, amongst teenagers uh, and the fact that they're not coping is they're just literally, they're not showing up. They're literally not coming to school. In fact, the school that she teaches in um, has um, a minibus that will go round to the students' homes literally uh, to get them out of bed. That's after phoning on a number of occasions. If they're not picking up or if the parents aren't picking up, minibus goes round to get them out of bed. And she asked the question and talks with a lot of professionals on it as to, you know, how do they respond to a student who would say, why should we come to school when we were in lockdown and we we taught ourselves? And the parents as well, apparently, um, seem to be kind of coming down on the side of their own children. So she says, on the one hand, the stigma around mental health has lifted and there's no longer much shame in discussing it. But on the other hand, it's been greatly exacerbated by the past couple of years where there's a rising tide of mental suffering amongst children, partly fueled, partly fueled by the pernicious effect of being online all day and half the night. Um, and one uh, psychologist said unrestricted use of social media has been like giving a bottle of vodka to a nine-year-old and saying, good luck, off you go. So that's just the gist of the article. I'll come back to different aspects of it. But I know in the past I spoke to Dr. Richard Hogan on this subject, the family psychologist. And I hope you got to hear some of that interest because I'm sure he'll respond to, to some of the points I made there in the introduction. Uh, Dr. Richard, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. I, I don't know whether you read that article or saw that article, but I'm sure you can relate to what a lot she's saying. Oh, absolutely. That would be my experience too. And I think, Neil, what we have in this country, and I think globally, is the perfect storm here for increasing and endorsing mental health problems amongst our adolescents and moving into adulthood. As in, we're fueling it. I think we've got the perfect storm, as in I think the way the schools are going about promoting mental health. I think the way we're parenting our kids, our children, I think what we're seeing is an overcorrection from um, our own, say, parents of my age who were raised in the 70s and 80s might have felt that their feelings and values were not, you know, they're, 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 maybe they didn't get their feelings validated enough. And as a result of that, they were going to validate every ch- their child's feelings. And it comes from a very good, well-intended uh, well position. But what they do, unfortunately, and what I've seen in my own experience, is that they, they, in their good intentions, they remove all the obstacles from their child because they believe, unfortunately, that that's, you know, how they can show their love for their child. And what happens there, it's like the vaccine. You know, you, you send your child off into the world and they've never experienced any difficulty. They've never have to manage any ups and downs of life. And so when the first thing comes along that absolutely derails them and collapses them. And then on top of that, you have what's going on in schools with the, you know, and, and of course, it's really what's very important is that we do stigmatize, to do destigmatize the, um, uh, you know, the mental health idea that children will talk about their feelings. That's very important. But what, what I find working in schools is that the message is very negative. The message is driving 
and almost at times and I'd say with self-harm it's really endorsing it you know and you get minor celebrities coming to schools talking about their own mental health problems and they and, and children are so suggestive when they come in they talk about maybe self-harm or suicidal ideation or identity issues and they're they're planting these thoughts into children and it's very important that we remove that and, and, and the message we should be giving our children is that it's okay to be okay yes if you're on, if you're not feeling well this is what you need to do and here's the service to access but also we need to promote that it's okay to be okay we need to promote health amongst our adolescents because we're in the middle of uh, another uh, epidemic here of like mental health issues she said, my instinctive approach in my own class with my own students is to plough on regardless. One day I found myself telling the class that anxiety was a, u- was a useful and necessary thing. And in any case, exams were meant to make them anxious. As I spoke, a chill went around the room. I felt cast as that an unattractive thing as a mental health denier. The class looked up at her in shock when she said, you are supposed to be anxious and stressful at exam time. But Neil, this is what I've been writing about in the examiner for years now and what I've been seeing and what I, you know, it, it's, it's distressing as a person working clinically and there's a lot of people involved in mental health that reminds me of the, of the, of the, you know, the diet promotion in the 90s, a lot of fad diets in the 90s that did a lot of harm. And I hear people talking on radio and in their columns in the paper and books saying that you get rid of anxiety, you must get rid of anxiety and that you can get rid of anxiety, they can get six minute abs. And, you know, it's an absolutely erroneous premise. Anxiety is a a very important part of survival. You know, how we manage our anxiety is one thing, but to say that we we can get rid of it is an erroneous thought and none of us would none of us would be able to survive if we didn't have that you know that response to a negative stimulus. That's a very important thing. And so to tell a child that they should never have anxiety is setting them up for a fall because when they feel... Who's telling them? You said in the... Intro, yeah, you're not preparing the... You said in the, in the first part of your conversation that parents are responsible for this because there was a survey recently that said that they are going to... Sh- modern parenting will show more love and affection to their children than their parents did to them. You, you yeah. kind of mentioned that point, didn't you? That they're going to do yeah. it differently because their parents, when they were young, uh, yeah. didn't take their feelings seriously, was it? Exactly, it's an overcorrection, you know, which often happens. We see very often. You so know, that helicopter parenting, clearing the path ahead. Yeah, it, it, but it comes from a very good place. It comes from a parent wanting to, you know, correct the experience that they had as a child. But we have to allow our children to experience the ups and downs of life when they come to us with a problem. We cannot solve that problem for them. When we do that, Neil, we take away their ability. We take away those the, the tools that they've developed to manage themselves going into life. You know, when your child comes to you and they're being bullied or they're experiencing some difficulty in school, your first reaction, of course, as a parent is to solve it. But you have to, you have to hold yourself there. And w- when you solve it for your child, you know, the, the analogy I give to parents when I see this is, how do you teach your child to cross the road? You'd never say to them, don't worry about the cars. I'll always be here to hold your hand. Because you won't always be there. And when you, when you, take, the res- when you take those moments of learning from your child and you solve the problem for them, you're actually diminishing you know, you're diminishing their tools and their reservoir yeah, skills yeah, to manage yeah. the ups and downs of life. So when they meet anxiety or stress or a problem, they collapse or they look to you to solve it because they've been so diminished in their you know, ability and, to manage And it. I don't wish to diminish, and I'll come back to in a moment with both yourself and, and Eileen Keane with regards to diminishing those who genuinely are suffering and do have mental health issues. But by all accounts, I don't know if this is the case here, but in the UK... They have a head of safeguarding in schools. This is somebody whose job it, it might be the equivalent to, to kind of like a HR or personnel or, you know, 
yeah. know, somebody in charge of looking after students' welfare. And she had a meeting with them. And at the meeting, uh, the safeguarding uh, officer in the school said that it's now called trauma-informed teaching, where you treat every child as if they had suffered a trauma. You're starting with every child as if they'd been traumatized. But and that's the that's the perfect storm, Neil. That's, that's, that's kind of dangerous to me. That's the that's the perfect storm where you have parenting that's kind of removing the child's ability to manage things, and then you have the school promoting and, and talking about mental health twenty four seven, and then you have social media and TikTok and Instagram, and they're talking about their lives, and you hear stars like Billie Eilish talking about her mental health problems, and so all you're surrounded by was with negative mental health, and this is what I'm, this is the point I'm making, Neil, is that. What happens then is that a child feels to be without a mental health condition is abnormal or is somehow dull or boring. And so to be kind of like, you know, seen or witnessed in the school, which all of us want, especially when you're teenagers, to be seen, well, to have a mental health or to self-harm, well, that will give me at least an identity. And that's a very dystopian world that we're pushing our kids into. You know, and we have to be very careful about it. And I think we need to push back against this. There's an article, there's part of the article that talk about the online issue and you mentioned TikTok. Uh, one professional said the lifting of the taboo may be great, but all this self-diagnosis feels wrong. I fear the effect um, of this will merely add to the information they've already gleaned from TikTok. If you type anxiety into TikTok, the first video that comes up shows an attractive teenage girl saying that biting your fingernails and zoning out are signs that you have anxiety. Nine million people have watched the video. I mean, that's it. That's, that's the perfect storm. You're very vulnerable. You don't even have to be vulnerable. You're a young teenager and you look at that and you see this beautiful girl and she's talking about her anxiety and biting her nails. The next video is going to show you how you self-harm. And the next video is going to show you all, you know, it's going to show you all this really negative behavior, how you manage your stress. And that's what's so dangerous about these platforms and why we need a bit more legislation to pre- pre- prevent our children from getting into them so early. And I, Neil, I see in my clinic, you know, I hear, I hear 10-year-olds talking about self-harm. I'm like, where in the name of God is this coming from? Like five years ago. This do you ask them, though? Do you ask them are they very active I, on social media? Do, yeah, and, and, and generally it comes from social media or a sister or a brother who's a couple of years ahead of them and they've talked to them about what you do when you feel stressed that you hurt yourself and, and this is so it's, it's, it is as I said a dystopian world that we're moving into and we have to pull back as parents we can't expect the government to parent our children we have to parent this we have to make sure that they're not consuming such you know destructive stuff for their psyche that's you're re- referring, referring to the point of you know the allowing the pernicious effects of online on day, all day and half the night is like giving a bottle of vodka to a nine year old well, uh, well, I don't know about, about that, but it, I think it can be probably even more destructive in some ways. I mean, I don't think you can let your child off into technology, you know, unsupervised. I mean, that's negligent parenting. If your child is on, the, if your child is in bed at, at three o'clock in the morning just consuming TikTok, I mean, there's there's, there's serious issues there, and we have to. Parents aren't going, they're not going to know they're asleep themselves. Yeah, but of course, but you know, what's the device doing in the bedroom? That's the first thing I'd say to parents: you must take the devices out of the bedroom. I thought it was an astonishing article because health professionals like you, with the same qualifications as you, are in the camp that they say there are students who are mentally ill who need help. But then there are students who are just having a rotten time, are not coping well, and have diagnosed themselves as being unwell. Such diagnosis is making children more anxious and unhappy than they already are. Um, and it makes the anxiety far more into- more intense. Uh, what we have is not an epidemic of mental disorders, though. It's powerful stuff, isn't it? 
It is true. I think what we have is an epidemic of like, you know, uh, a, multi- a multitude of, of, of aspects coming together, like parenting, school, TikTok, all of these things. In my experience in the last five years, Neil, I'd say in all of those clients that I've met, all the adolescents I've met, maybe two of them started medication. So it was a it was an issue with the ecology, with their system. It was an issue with their social media. It was an issue with how they're perceiving themselves and the world around them. It was really an issue of perception. And, you know, and the perception is given to them by their peer group and by what they're consuming. And so we have to be very careful that we're not allowing our children to walk into this, you know, laced with tripwires here but, and we have to watch it you know we have to really be careful about how they consume the information that they're getting so so you believe that there's too much information too much signs too much flagging mental health too much asking questions are you okay you know you might be suffering do you have these symptoms is is that the problem that we're not accentuating the positive like are you happy Absolutely. You walk into any school or walk into any university campus and all you'll see is it's okay not to be okay. You'll see signs about anxiety, signs about depression, signs about, you know, anorexia. You see all of the signs about negativity. And again, it's important that we take the stigma out of mental health and we talk about it. Of course, there's going to be an increase in cases because once we start to talk about it, but we have to be careful that the the way we go about it isn't an overcorrection and that we're not endorsing mental health problems by all we're feeding is negativity we need to have the positives too how to sustain mental health how to sustain wellness you know when you're that should be the desire for our children that should be what they're looking moving towards is you know how do you feel good what do you do to feel good that's the message we should be given you know, but you don't want parents either dismissing a child's worries or anxieties you know by no, saying ah, you'll have, be we, grand get over it no, but I think what's happening is that we're over-validating it now, Neil. We're over-correcting it. And we're, we're looking, we're, we're talking about it too much. And that's what's yeah, causing this yeah, problem. Yeah. That's what's causing the surge in it. Hold on a second, if you can. I don't know how busy you are, but I want to get the thoughts of Eileen Keane, jumpstartyourconfidence.com, because she literally goes into school and talks with students and has done for many years. Eileen, good morning. Hi, good morning, Neil. Your thoughts? Hi, Dr. Church. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, look, it, this is such a fireball. I mean, there's so many different aspects to it, I suppose, and we've touched a lot of them there. I think what Dr. Richard said there about the happiness side of things is massive, and I see that so much when we're doing the workshops. Like, how often do we actually, we need to really take notice of what our kids are doing that makes them smile, excited, you know, that they're passionate about, that they're interested in, and really try and encourage them to be doing more of it. Like, when I work with older kids or young adults, and I ask them, what, yeah, I have this little sheet that they draw, and it's what you do that makes you happy. Like, the older they get, a lot of them, they can't even answer that question. Mm-hmm. You know, because they've given up things, or they're busy online, or whatever they're doing. And that's a problem. I mean, for all of us, if any of us stop doing the things that we enjoy, I just say to them, it's like a light goes off inside. Like, it's up to... I mean, I think we have to put the responsibility back on them as well. You know, if you want to feel better... You have a choice here. I'm, and as you said earlier, now we're not talking about the kids who are genuinely really But it's doing here. them a terrible disservice, though. Those who really have mental disorder or mental health crisis that need help. Those that genuinely have suicidal thoughts, eating disorders and do self-harm for reasons that need correcting. Uh, that we have like a, a floodgate opening saying, OK, everybody's got anxiety. Everybody's got stress. It's all right to feel bad. Sure, that's bound to sink into a a teenager's head because they'll, they'll absorb that, won't they? They will. But like, Neil, in an ideal world, right, this is what the kids have gone through for the last two or three years, which has been horrendous, let's face it, for a lot of them. Do we not need to look at now what's the alternative here in supporting these kids? 
So whether it is this, uh, and I do feel, and no offence to teachers, some school will have the ideal person in a school who can talk about this, but a lot of schools don't, because to be fair to the teachers, they're trained to teach. So other people are trained to do other things. Yeah, but, but when, when, when Lucy Kellaway got in touch with parents of students who just weren't turning up, She's not a mental health denier, incidentally. She said that often I find parents are firmly on their children's side. They say, my daughter is anxious. You should get off her back. The parents are terrified, Neil. All the parents are listening to, too, is negativity and self-harm and suicide and anorexia and everything else. The parents I work with of the kids who are struggling a lot, a lot of the parents are terrified as well. You know, to be fair, we're living in a, quite a negative um, energy and negative environment. So I, you know, I just think it's um, we have to be careful what we say because it is hard. But I do think the normalising of it all is a huge issue. There's no question about it. What they're seeing online, what they're seeing on TikTok. I know there's a lot of positives they get there too, to be honest. But anyway, um, this thing of you know, I've had a bad day. Well, that's life. You're making you know? me anxious. You're stressing me out. Should, should school, I mean, you're in the schools a lot. Should they not be yeah. tougher places where, you know, there's a harder approach in school where, like, Callaway talks to people who say there should be no excuses. We should have uniformly high expectations. You have to come to school. You must be punctual. Your homework must be done. It has to be unforgiving where students are given no choice rather than a gentler, more nuanced approach where they talk about the well-being of individual students. That, well, that's the problem. Uh, Neil, there has to be a halfway measure here. I mean, No, I mean, in kids, the old days, school was tough. It was, but at the same time, no. I don't know about you, I had a ball in school. Like, we got away with a lot as well. I do think the pressure on school work, that's a huge issue for a lot of kids. Feeling that they have to, and this is coming from the school, from the parents, from their peers, from themselves, feeling that they have to get certain results, they have to get certain grades, you know, without the grades, they're stupid, they're whatever. Like, that's a horrendous place for a child to find themselves in, and it's so untrue. Like, some of the brightest kids mightn't be the academic result kids, but my God, they are going to get on in life because they're... Yeah, well, they they might if they weren't being, if their exams weren't being marked by unqualified trainee teachers doing the junior cert and leaving cert results. Good God. Yeah, but the whole system is wrong. I mean, if we're, I just feel, you know, we do need to relook at, as in from the top down, this has to be relooked at. The world has changed so much. The system within the schools has to be changed to go along with that. So well, like Richard, is saying, Richard is saying zip it with the mental health awareness. It's overkill. It's brainwashing children, he said. Well, I don't know. I mean, if I go in, if I, okay, if I go into a school and if I'm chatting to kids about tough days and mental health issues and anxiety and stress and whatever, like I would say to them, look, this is normal life. You know, a certain amount of this, as Dr. Richard said, a certain amount of this we need. We have to be able to deal with it. And then we go through different things. If you're having a tough day, what you can do. So, you know, talking to someone is huge. And I don't mean talking to someone saying, I have anxiety, I have depression, I have whatever. It's just talking to someone to say, I just don't feel great. But anxiety and low mood and unhappiness are not mental. They're not a mental disorder, Richard, are they not? No, not if they're not not persistent, no. Yeah, so it's it's part of life. So say someone starts with a small issue and they are feeling off and they are feeling down, like we all did along the way plenty of times, I'm sure. Mm. If they can just have a casual conversation, and I'm just saying even with a, a cousin or an aunt or a parent or whoever feels comfortable, that they can talk it out because when you normalise things for kids on the positive side, they kind of get that as well. But aren't you know, don't you run the risk that students, Richard, that students who are anxious, stressed, of a low mood or unhappy are being sent to counselling by their parents? 
Yeah, well, that's happening very. That's happening a lot sooner than it probably should have, should be happening at the moment. And I, I think the message really needs to be that, you know, if it's if a child does come and learn what you're talking about there, it's really important that we tell them how to manage themselves and that, you know, we all feel ups and downs at times and that that's normal. But also we need to push the positive. It's not about getting rid of mental health promotion. It's about pushing it in a much more positive way. I think that's the real key that we talked about. But what, as you said at the start there, what makes you feel good? What do you, what, you know, one to ten, if you, when, you, whenever you're, when are you an eight, you know, and how are you feeling like an eight? What are you doing in your life when you feel great? Now you have to do more of that and when you feel bad, do more of the good stuff. Don't lean into the bad stuff, you know, isolating, uh, hang, staying away from your friends. Do more of the stuff that makes you feel good. That's the stuff that we need to teach children. So when they do feel bad, they lean on good habits, not the maladaptive negative stuff. They, they push towards good things that pulls them out of the low mood. Why are parents self-medicating their children? What, what do you mean uh, by I, that? I think, well, um, self-medicate, I don't think it's a... But I think parents are, like you described, are terrified. I think parents are very scared about what's going oh, maybe, on. Maybe you don't mean self-medicating, but self-diagnosing, perhaps, is it? Yeah, I think because of what, all the literature that's around and all the messaging, I think. No, yeah. but maybe, are, are parents not perhaps getting some sort of prescription medication for children? Is that what you mean? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't miss the point, I you know, sorry, Neil. No, I mean, has, has this led to a point now where young people are being prescribed medication too much to deal with anxiety and with stress that they could be well, on tranquilizers. I think there's a huge problem. Uh, another part of the story, which is a huge story, is the um, the rapid medica- medicalization of low mood. And I think the, the fact that GPs are prescribing selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors is a huge issue. And, uh, and, and also is that getting that, younger? It is getting younger. Oh, and I think the fact, that, and the fact that services are like seven months, eight months, um, backlog. So you go to your GP, and the GP understands that this child is not going to get seen by CAMS in the next eight months. I better put him on a prescri- on medication now to kind of you know hold that gap while he's waiting for his access to a multidisciplinary team. That's a huge problem, and that's a service problem. That's a governmental problem, you know, and that's a, a bigger problem again. Mother of God, it seems a mountain that's far too high to climb to me. Yeah, I mean, like yeah, yeah. Eileen, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, like, there's a lot of parents listening now. And in fairness, you know, it has been a really tough time. A lot of kids heading back, heading into first year, a lot of, a lot of parents very worried about what's coming down the track. And I think we need to remind parents that it, it, it has always been a tough transition. You know, it's, school has always been a struggle for some kids, not all, obviously, but for some. And that's OK. And generally, it'll, it'll wean itself out and the kids will become a bit more relaxed. I know, but Paddy says by text, we're rearing a generation of hypochondriacs. Ah, well, I think that's very generalised. Now I work with the most amazing kids. No, but who are you, very but you do. But you're dealing with low self-esteem, poor self-confidence, peer pressure, well, exam are. pressure, bullying, cyberbullying, parental pressure, digital addiction. <laughs> but let's try and come up with a few ideas that can support the parents from home to help. Like we talked about sleep a while ago. If our kids aren't sleeping, nothing's going to work. You know, we all know, I'm sure, if we don't sleep for a few days, we're emotionally wrecks. We can't deal with anything. Every little problem becomes a big problem. So the first thing, in my opinion, is the kids need to be sleeping. As Dr. Richard said, the phone's out of the bedroom. And yeah, it'll be an argument and a fight and they'll hate you. You know what? That's our job. Yeah. We just have to get on with it. So it's not about building parents, resilience, is it? Of course it is. Yeah, yeah. But like, if, if we, you know, I had parents say I'm not giving them the phone till this age or this age. And I'm like, I don't feel giving them the phone is the big issue. 
putting in the rules is the biggest thing. So give them the phone while you still have authority, put in the boundaries while you still have that authority and really try and stick with it as a unit, you know, as a family. Like mine used to murder me when they were younger and I'd be pulling the phone out of the bedroom and plug it in the hall. And, sure, and what like, is the age, incidentally, either of you, like that a child should get a, a phone or get a laptop? I mean, is, is there, like, does it depend on, on the child or the maturity of the child or what? Well, I mean, you'll see a two-year-old now with a laptop, so uh, I suppose it's about when do they get the freedom of it. There's a, there's a few helpful apps there that'll help parents control it up to a certain age, but let's face it, our kids are 10. But is it eight? Up. Is it seven? Richard, would, is it I ten? I would say, Neil, there, you know, uh, honestly, that's a very important thing to parents and parents listening. I would, I would not give a child a smartphone until they hit secondary school. I think that, I think that should be across yeah. the board, and it's it's happening. And my daughter's in fifth class, and her friends in fourth class had a smartphone at like nine. I mean, a child is not able to manage what that. And would that, that be free access then to whatever? Free access to whatever, unless the parents have as as I said, unless the parents have restrictions, and a lot of them mightn't have it because they mightn't understand yeah. being di- digital Im- immigrants. They mightn't understand what you can do with the phone and they might feel really outpaced by it. So they kind of just like, you know, sometimes we bury our head in the sand and say, should it be grand? And we have to be very careful about when we bring these things in because there's no rowing back once the child gets the smartphone. You're not taking that smartphone back off them. I mean, it's just a very, very difficult thing. And so the, the later you introduce it, Bill Gates didn't give his daughter a smartphone until she was 14. So the later you, you, you give that to your child, the better. But what do you do then when you have a school, as somebody says here by text, that the school play for her class or her son or daughter's class, uh, the uh, theme of the school play was suicide? Oh, I mean, my God. Come yeah. on. Like, well, that's you know. ridiculous. Like, maybe they have the best intentions trying to highlight okay. suicide awareness, but I'm not sure. No, I what mean, age to say? Doesn't, doesn't say. It just it doesn't say. Schools never stop talking about it and giving them ideas in the classrooms. I went to the school play. The theme was suicide. It's just crazy. Well, that does sound ridiculous. But to be fair to the teachers there now, too, there's, I mean, I've, I've been in classrooms where some of the teachers find it really hard to teach because they're dealing with so many other things. You know, and I do think, as we went back to earlier, when an outsider comes into school, I've had kids come up to me after a group telling me some harrowing stories about, you know, their issues and their troubles. And these aren't kids who are saying it lightly. These are kids who have problems, but they don't have anyone to go to. I do think communication is massive here. And, you know, sometimes if a child is worried, nervous, has been bullied, has had a normal life experience that puts them down. Because to be fair, if a kid is ousted out of a friend group to them, that is the end of their world. Mm. So we can't undermine that because it does have a massive impact. You so know, being kept out of, a, a, of a school chum's WhatsApp group can be devastating to a young person, for instance. Of course it can. Yeah. De- it is devastating. There's yeah. no question about yeah. it because there's nothing more important to them at that time. But if they were talking then to a cousin in fifth or sixth year or early 20s or whatever, and they might have a conversation saying, oh God, I went through that, it's awful. But you know what I did, blah, blah, blah. Let them, let them talk to somebody okay. who they trust who they know, and that actually can alleviate an awful lot of the little stuff. Like the online world, we can't really, we could keep an eye on it up to a certain age, but after that, we can't. So communication within the family has to be very open, and if you don't feel you can talk to your team, which is a very normal thing, let's face it, and parents, you know, would feel so bad sometimes coming to me saying, well, why can't they talk to me? And parents, like, my own kids benefit from talking to someone else, and this is what I do. You know, that's so normal. So don't be afraid to say maybe your cousin, aunt or uncle, whoever they have a relationship with. And I would suggest that every parent has someone in their child's life who they know that child has a number on their phone 
who they know they can trust. And it's really important that that trust remains, that they don't go back, Mm -hmm. you know, and they don't hear the trust being broken because that relationship going forward can be so vitally important for all of us. Let me get some thoughts from the public. Thank you, Eileen, for taking the call. As always, Eileen Keane with uh, jumpstartyourconfidence.com. Final word to you, Richard, if you were to sum up. Yeah, I just think that, again, what Eileen said there, parents need support. They need to to look at how their parents are. They need to think about removing obstacles from the children's child's life. And they need to kind of equip these children with the skills to manage the ups and downs of life and also to make the right decisions when they're not around. And we need to be careful about our technology uh, and when children access phones. And there's a huge issue with pornography. That's another another conversation. And we have to be careful about, you know, what, what age are children are, you know, consuming this kind of material. So, and then on top of that, we really need to look at schools and how they're promoting um, mental health awareness. And, and it needs to be far more positive. At the moment, it's very negative and it needs to be far more positive. And we have to be careful. Uh, and the government needs to look at CAMS and these services and why they're so backlogged. And we, we need to put more money into mental health in that area so that GPs aren't prescribing, uh, you know, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And if we start pulling that away, I think we start seeing a, a massive change. Thanks for taking the time, Richard, as always. Do appreciate it, Dr. Richard Hogan. Text 0868 Richard Hogan is a family psychologist himself and you can get further details online. Your thoughts, please. Text 0868 Get involved in the conversation. What did you make of my chat with Eileen? And with Richard, how much of it can you relate to or not? Text 0868-104-106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Yeah, just jumping in ahead of the news because in other news, we have some great giveaways as well across the morning and indeed the week. Don't forget, we have some more of the family passes to give away to some wonderful Cork tourist attractions, the length and breadth of the county. Don't forget to uh, download the Explore Cork app because there are lots of places to go across the back end of uh, August and indeed the rest of the year too uh, to take your families to so we have loads of passes to give away again this week for different uh, activities and tourist attractions as well as that big week in Cork this week Cork on a Fork starts on Wednesday and it runs to the 21st of August and the countdown is on to a fantastic new food festival on Lisa. I'll tell you some more about that later this morning but I just want to mention it now because at some stage today I'll be giving away a pair of tickets for the Taste of Princess Street. Now that happens from 6 o'clock on Wednesday. Now the tickets are 125 euro per person. There's a few left if you want to go and eat and go and be part of the eating and indeed drink um, feast, if you like, on Princess Street on Wednesday because restaurants include Nash 19, Quinlan Seafood Restaurant, Ristorante Rossini, uh, Teddo's Tapas and Wine Bar, Oak Fire Pizza, Burnt Pizza, Clancy's. They're all on Princess Street. Great food restaurants. Um, now, there also will be pairings of alcohol for the different foods that you'll be eating and on-street music as well. So I've got those two tickets to give away sometime between now and Wednesday. Six o'clock is kickoff time for Taste of Princess Street. You can book those tickets yourself. There's a few left. Tasteofprincessstreet.eventbrite.ie And the new bar and restaurant that is J.J. Walsh's in the city down on Oliver Plunkett Street. I've got daily vouchers to give away for the new Heritage Bar uh, that's opening on Oliver Plunkett Street. And each of those vouchers every day this week is €250 worth. And you can spend it in there on whatever you wish. Tell you more about JJ Walsh's as well throughout the course of the morning. Back after 10. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on the Big Red Bench. That's the Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. 
Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. A lovely text coming in from uh, people who are Iron Man or indeed congratulations to people who took part in it. I'll go through all of those texts uh, in, in uh, on the course of the next a couple of hours or what have you. Well done to Chris Mintern from Cork, though. Imagine, eight hours and 38 minutes to complete it. I mean, this is really a tough thing to do, Iron Man. 3.8 kilometer swim. And they went off at an unmerciful belt. I saw the video footage of them being sent to me while they were swimming. They went off. I mean, they were fast swimmers. A 180 kilometer bike course and a 42.2 kilometer uh, run. I hope to have a chat with them at some stage this morning, Chris. Uh, at the same time, it's very interesting because uh, I also noticed that uh, Svenja Thaws, uh, who won, who came across, I don't, I don't know, are there, are there different categories? First man passed and first woman passed or something like that? Is that, is that how it works? Uh, she was um, disqualified. Uh, and I guess whoever came in second became the winner. Simone Mitchell was declared the winner in the uh, Ironman Ireland um, because apparently... Uh, she was disqualified because of outside assistance. Following an investigation by race race officials, Svenja Thaws uh, was uh, issued a post-race qualification. But there was ten, at least 10,000 people, they're saying, uh, lined the streets to welcome uh, the athletes uh, across the weekend. And you all, I'd say the figure was a lot higher than that. And they got great weather for it. Mind you, I suppose for the competitors, maybe uh, the weather and the heat was uh, an obstacle to them that they're to be aware of as well as everything else. Anyway, we'll come back to that throughout the course of the morning. Back to the phone lines we go. Louise, good morning. Good morning. Uh, picking up you? on my conversation earlier on about uh, young people in general, um, and I was chatting with Eileen and indeed Dr. Richard Hogan. What, 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 what's your own situation with your own daughter? She's quite young, only seven. She's seven. Um, um I was talking to you before. She has um, autism. She has ADHD. Um, she has social processing disorder, and she has anxiety yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, she has been diagnosed by a professional privately, obviously. But um, yeah, she's just on a waiting list for the last like three years to be seen by somebody. To be seen within CAMS. With well, the HSC anyhow yeah. didn't specifically say CAMS, but. Yeah. Yeah. For a psychiatrist, because she does. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. yeah, because she needs like she definitely needs to be medication in some form because the outbursts are unbelievable. Like, yeah. you know, the outbursts are unbelievable in the sense of when um, she has a bit of a meltdown. Is it? Yeah, Um, yeah, because like I'm actually scared of her because she's getting so strong and everything. And she's you know? seven now, and you're scared of her. She's seven. Yeah, yeah she can. Like I've, I've had bruises because of her and everything. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. I know. Richard. And like, it's not Richard, good for her either. You know what I mean? It's not. Well, it's not. It's not good for her as she as she gets as she gets older. You have to wonder, as you were saying, what's her teenage and adult life going to be like? They say early yeah. intervention is the key at a very young age. Yeah. But yet and we have waiting too, lists. But yet nobody. Like, they're kind of saying people are talking about it too much in schools, so but at least somebody's talking to them about it because yeah. we're just hitting a brick wall in this country the whole time. But you see, in, in your case, with regards to yourself and your, and your lovely seven-year-old daughter, where clearly she does have issues, which would be ASD, ADHD, she's on the autism spectrum, genuinely suffers with anxiety because of her medical diagnosis. That's, that's a legitimate diagnosis. The worry yeah. is for those who are being diagnosed and there's nothing actually medically wrong with them. 
but they're still being told you have your mental health disorder, you're unwell, you suffer anxiety, you suffer stress, and all they're going through is life. So the services then are being screwed up for you. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Basically, but it's no harm for schools to have some kind of conversation about it. But not, not if it's all negative, though, Louise, you know? Well, yeah, yeah. I don't believe like having plays about suicide and all that. So that's that, that's interesting, actually. The play about far. suicide, apparently, I, I just got a, I just got an update on that from the parent who said it was actually a play in Cork City for transition year students, and the theme of the play was suicide, and she didn't allow her transition year student go to the play. Yeah. Okay. All right. I let I let you get on there, Louise. I know you're you're quite busy, but um, thank you for your call. I know you got children there and. Uh, they need your attention. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. And we'll do some texts after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. Okay, keen to get people on the air. Donald amongst them. Donald, thanks for holding. Good morning. Good morning, Neil. Listen, yeah. just listening there to the discussion there on, on children and school and that, you know, yeah. made me think back on my own experience of school. And my experience at school, Nick, was horrible, absolutely horrible, okay? Mm. So much so that I left school at 15, mm. went to work, took jobs that, uh, lorry helpers, stuff like that. Mm. And over time, I um, developed myself without any schooling, really, okay? Just move around um, a little bit there, Donald, it's a little muffled. Yeah, I developed myself, Neil, uh, without any schooling, really, because what I learned at school was very limited and very little because I went to school in a trance. And I think a lot of kids uh, that came from big families at that time were in a trance-like state. What do you mean by that, a trance? What do you mean? Well, well, I couldn't grasp what the teachers were saying to me, okay? I wasn't stupid. I'm far from stupid, I can tell you. I am a very intelligent person. And as life went on, I discovered that. But at school, it was almost as if it was stupid because you couldn't grasp what other people could grasp. Now, every child coming out of every home has different circumstances, different abilities. And I think for that reason, school should be fun. That's how you, a young kid learns. You can learn through fun, Neil. And I think the school life has become far, far too serious. And as I said, when I left school... I had very little, but at 21 years of age, I learned how to stand up for myself. I, I became a shop steward in a, in a, in a job that I was yeah, in. I know. And I, know. I learned to stand up to bullies. I learned to stand up when I was being wronged. And I think that's what kids need to learn. Yeah, but it's a different it's, environment now. It's a different world. That's exactly, that's exactly the point, Neil. And you can go wrong in circles uh, talking about kids, what they need, what they should do. Or they need to enjoy school life. It should be fun. I mean, I watch the Spanish kids. Now, maybe I'm seeing something that isn't uh, exactly as it looks. They're out there on this, uh, at the beaches. They're out um, surfing and sailing and doing all sorts of fun activities. And you can see the school teachers take them to McDonald's when it's finished. And you can see the, the, the fun and the enjoyment that they're getting. Yeah, they're on their holidays. You're going to see that when they're on the holidays. No, no, not necessarily on holidays. No, when do Irish kids go on holidays with the school teachers? Now, this is this like there's a resentment. There, there is no relationship between the, the teachers and the pupils at school. Now, the p- teachers, 
are, are leaving some children behind and probably a lot of children, more children are getting left behind. It's just all too serious and not enough. That's the race for points in college places. That's the system we've created. It's all too mechanical, Neil. We're making doctors, we're making teachers, we're making this, we're making that. People should be self-made. They should be allowed to develop in whatever way is healthy and best for them. Why should they need to be a doctor? Why should they need to be... Because Why parents don't want their kid left at the station when the train's pulled off and the points well, are Neil, given I out I wasn't at left the at the station when the train pulled off and many people like me that grew up with me and went to school no, with me... I don't they like the system as it exists. Don't think, I, don't think I'm endorsing. I'm just saying... No, I'm not saying that, you are. That's really, where I'm we're at now. You know? Society are endorsing it. I'm not saying you are. Society are endorsing it. And I, I, I honestly think the people that grew up in my generation, they, they may not have been geniuses, but they got through their lives. They're still getting through their lives. And it hasn't done them any harm. You mean you... As I got older, Neil, I learned more. And I learned that I had more ability than I had ever used. And I felt more confident, obviously, for that. But like, you're not building kids' confidence if you're going to compare them and, and make them... <laughs> fight for grades and all this kind of rubbish. For God's but, sake, like we had solicitors, we had doctors back then as well. They might have came from homes where they got an advantage, but that's the problem. Not all kids are coming from the same environment and, and, and you know, yeah, somehow... I mean, I mean you, talk, you might talk about, you know, being a solicitor or being a doctor now. It's, it's like, it's not as big a deal anymore now. You know, those, those are tough it's jobs. Not, they, they don't have that exclusivity. To, they're... they're Pretty badly paid for a long, long time, uh, and and they're they're not a kind of that exclusive. Oh, my son, the doctor, my son, the engineer. There's so loads why, of them why, now. You know, so it's not why a, our parents, why our parents need them, why our schools pushing everybody in that direction? Because they want their school to be top of the league table or as close as they can yeah, get so, it. So it's not about children places. really. It's not about children, and it's not about the child learning for no, life. They, no, because I learned, I learned for life. By myself. Yeah, I know. It's it's fantastic. It wasn't as complicated a world back then. I mean, I look back angrily now at my own children's education and the pressures and the the points. And 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 I look look back angrily at my own as well. So you imagine what the children of today will look back on in 20 years. I look back angrily for the reason that I know what I'm capable of and how that was never nurtured, how it never got a chance to do it. Because I hated school. I, I got to hate it. And is this what's wrong? Are kids hating school are they not not really wanting to be in school well, well you're, now you've been lo- more liable to get a diagnosis and get a label. You could be dyslexic, you yeah. could have ADD, you could have ADHD, you could be bipolar. Where did all these terms come from for God's sake? We were all like we, we, we were all different back then as well Neil. But they were a lot of the children that were left behind. Back in the day, they were dyslexic. They couldn't, the, the words and the they numbers were, were jumbled and, on and the page. They, and they were treated badly for that dyslexia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were driven out of school, Neil. And, you know, that's, that's exactly would have been my experience. I had, like, I'm not going to mention schools or teachers, Neil, but I had teachers who I used to look at their eyes and think, why do you hate me? Why are you doing this to me? I had my books, Neil, scattered from my school bag across the, the classroom because I didn't understand something. I mean, that was the kind of teaching I, I had. And like, we're doing the same thing really, Neil. That was one frustrated teacher, one angry teacher. Ah, Neil, this man was an alcoholic. And I know that now in my latter years. 
like I found some other people that he was an alcoholic and I as a young child obviously wouldn't have been able to identify what was wrong with this man but no but you took I, the brunt I, yeah kids took the brunt force of that then yeah in the classroom to this day I can see that man's eyes and if teachers are stressed I don't see how they're going to be if a teacher is fun loving and happy going into the classroom the kids are going that's going to transfer it's to a the superb kids, point what, you know it really is um, that school experience should be a pleasant a happy and a fun place life totally, will be serious enough that's the start yeah. of your learning in life Neil and Perfect. if you learn that it's yeah. that bloody horrible okay. life is going to be in the future you're going to you're going to develop that I, I don't know like show that I talk about Neil that, that you can learn and uh, you know I didn't have a disability Neil believe me mm. and I do know no, from mm. being able to look up any subject there mm. and read about it. Mm. I know I'm just reading what the teachers used to tell me, mm. but I couldn't understand them because mm. they were speaking in, 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 a, in a higher level for me to understand. Mm. You know, mm. and I, I think this is what's wrong. Everything has gone above the children's heads. <laughs> they, might be, they might be learning, but they're paying. Uh, for, for, for that learning they're paying with their mental health they won't thank us first thanks Donald appreciate it thank no, you so no. much Paula I, I, good morning I've seen it Paula, Paula thanks for holding Paula good morning good morning Neil How now a little seven year old Callum came to your yes. aid <laughs> you found yourself in a predicament did you yes I tell you now my friend and myself were down in um, Middle Island um, shopping what's it called I, I don't know how to pronounce is it Jisk Jisk, oh yeah. What do they so sell? We went to, pardon? What do they sell? They said, my, our first time in there, um, bits and pieces furniture now, and bits and pieces household Yisk. stuff, you know? So we went Yisk. in anyway because she was looking for something in particular. So we went in and uh, unfortunately she can't do the stairs. Right. I wouldn't be the best myself anyway, but she couldn't use, she doesn't use stairs, she can't. So we went into the lift. So we went up first floor so it's time to come down so we came down pressed the button and it's one of these lifts I have been in them before actually once or twice you have to keep your hand pressed you have to keep your finger pressed on the button so we did so we landed down what? you have to keep your hand on the button all the way down? you keep your finger on the button until you reach the level you want to go to which there was only two levels grown in first floor that's a new so lift went, system to me anyway but go ahead well it's not actually I have been in them okay. once or twice <laughs> I don't get out but much <laughs> but the first time I went in I did the same and here I am how do I do? anyway so we pressed the button we went down but actually we were in such shock I can't even remember and I said sure one day are we up or down we're down <laughs> So you press the button and you keep your finger on it, Grand, the door should open. Now, it is very, I know lifts now are very enclosed, but they're actually very narrow and they're very much enclosed. So we were there for about 15 minutes. <laughs> and It wouldn't open, is it? No, the door wouldn't open. And actually, the red button, then there's another red button you press that, but actually that was broken. <laughs> twist and, and we were there and she was panicking. And I mean, oh, Neil, panicking. Really? Because she had, yeah, I'll tell you why, I'll explain why. She had two terrible experiences in lifts. And if we're ever going away, we book first floor, ground floor. This is our, this is our first request, ground floor, please. Right. So, um, <laughs> so next, we know any more, I mean, this little boy, this couple family were downstairs waiting to get on the lift to go up. We were down at this stage. So I said, I said to her, are we up or down? And, um, little boy, Caleb, he said to his parents, there's two ladies in there stuck in the lift. 
I tell you now, she actually was very upset now, Neil, genuinely. I know, I, that's, I should be serious. She, I know you can laugh, yeah. we can laugh. Now, I'd go back into a lift now. Right. Now, I wasn't the best at the time. When she I wasn't, was she up, was she crying? Like, was she, she up, was, panicked? She was, panic. She was panic. Poor woman. Yeah, she's my best friend. Yeah, okay. And I, I was trying serious. to keep calm and telling her, breathe in and breathe out and the perspiration was teaming out through us with the heat and everything. So we got out, so of course there was people waiting outside. And uh, this little fellow Callum was with his parents, and they were going to see the alerted. He was the brave boy of the day, and that's why I'm ringing you now. And I hope somebody. How do you know? Could he see into your heart? There was a there's a bit of glass. When you come down, there's a little narrow glass. You see, when you're in the lift, there's no glass. But you actually, when you come down the actual outside door, and were you able to attract? Were you banging at the door or what? You might well be wasting your time because there was two doors. How did, he, how did he cop that you were two, two women stuck in the lift? When we got down, the, the outside door, there was glass. Yeah. And he, he looked in and he said, there's two women inside the lift. <laughs> so anyway, we got out, we rang. Anyway, sure, we actually rang. I pressed the alarm button and they came on and they said the engineer will be there. And I said, how long? A few minutes. So anyway, that didn't happen. So eventually, anyway, we got out. But I just want to... Really how did you get out, though? When we got out... When we when we came to when how did we get out? I can't answer that, but we did because it worked on me eventually. But there's a you weren't doing anything wrong, like with the buttons. No, are, no, no, I thought I was <laughs> because um, I've no patience, you see, Neil, and I was pressed. Are you and panic? Pre- and your friend was panicked, and oh, you got she you know, was fierce, be up to no, Neil. Yeah. She was, yeah, very, very upset. And you press this red button, but you turn it, and I did that. Sounds like yes, a very complicated lift to me, I can tell you. Just, I'll tell you something I now. thought you just push the floor and do nothing else and it does the yes, rest itself. Yes, it should do that. You hold the button and you go to your floor and then you press this button to release and the, 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 the door opens, the outside door. She was relieved when you got out, though. Oh, my God. So, so was I, but... <laughs> but um, I just want to thank Caleb and his family... They were a lovely family, mum and dad, and a little baby, and the mummy's expecting another baby. Save the day. So she said, um, he was our hero, Neil. Honest to God, no, he was such chat. You should have him on your show. He was brilliant. Seven. He was seven. I'd love to get him on the show if he's a chatter, and I hope that his folks are listening, or he might yes. be. I'd also love to give him as a way of congratulating and rewarding yes. him one of our family passes to go yes. away off to a tourist I hope attraction. somebody's listening, and I'm saying, I know it's early in the morning, he's probably in bed, but he was a hero. Well done to him. Well done. And, yeah. um, you can give him a half crown or anything or sixpence or anything like that, no? Of course we did. Ah. Of course we did. And my friend did, and another customer came over and gave it to me. Sure, he was delighted with life. Loaded with dosh. And he was delighted. But it was a lovely, lovely seven-year-old. Well, and he was shed- and yeah, So he was our hero yesterday. Okay, let's see if we can find him, given a, a family Do, pass. Thank you for taking I had to go on the air and thank well you. Well done. Honest, now they were a lovely, lovely family. Lovely. And me your friend is okay. She's recovered. Will she go back in the lift again? Never. Never, you say. <laughs> What's so, she going to do, though, if she can't take we the stairs? We cross that bridge and we come to it. I'll get around her somewhere. All right, um, All right Because Paul. we go away last two of us for weekends. <laughs> All right, OK. Go on, Neil. Cheers, and well thank, done. Thank see, you for taking the call. Take care. Let's see if we can find Callum and his family. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Just ahead of the break, talk to Siobhan after the break. Just give me just a couple of minutes here because I don't want things to get away from me. Ambulances. I was telling you about paramedics being burnt out and quitting the job. Many years ago, there was an ambulance based full time in an area to deal with that place in particular. 
like, say, for example, West Cork. Nowadays, they're being rounded up to do multiple trips to the city and elsewhere. All the parked-up ambulances at the CUH and elsewhere just sitting there waiting. Time could be the main issue. Tired staff, burnt out, burnout, long journeys, no proper food breaks, no proper rest time. It's crazy. There should be a designated area for A&E where medics take the patients out of the ambulance as soon as they arrive. That would stop the wasting of such valuable time. Use the ambulances as an extra trolley bay, you know, as in give them their own area. Suzanne. Morning, I'm an an ex-HSE paramedic who left the job a few months ago. I feel sorry for my colleagues and anyone looking for an ambulance as you have to wait for hours. We were sent from one end of the county to the other and I quit because I was totally burnt out. We never got meal breaks. Our 12-hour shifts ended up being 16-hour days. Our annual leave was cancelled. Our management just pushed and pushed and pushed. It's normal now that some areas are often without cover for a number of hours. I know COVID didn't help. It was affecting my life too. It got too stressful and my family was suffering. That's why I had to leave and change my career in the end. Keep those texts coming. We'll pick up on more of them and calls as well after the break. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Now I talked to Siobhan O'Reardon. Siobhan, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. What day were you on your beach? Um, Friday. On Friday. On Friday was the day... Yeah that you nearly lost your son to drowning? Yep, seconds. Seconds from losing my son to drowning. What yep. happened? So, bear with me one second. Yeah, yeah. because of course, uh, your beach would have been jammed on Friday, all last yeah, week and over and the weekend. Like, we live in Wexford ourselves. We live like right beside the water. Um, we're just back from Grand Canaria for two weeks as well. Like yeah. My kids would be they'd be used to the water and I suppose I just you know you get comfortable no matter where you are you just go the kids can swim they're always in the water we have the big pool out the back because it's summer blah 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 and we'd gone to photo wildlife and just said oh sure look we'll stop at the beach on the way home and then get some fish and chips yeah I hadn't even got the chance to take my shoes off it happened that quick literally on the beach it didn't even put my son down I had my one-year-old in my arms so even in that moment where Darren was screaming for help and then pe- it, it was getting people's attention. I had to debate then. Do I put my one-year-old in the water down because I was knee-deep in there trying to help or do I turn around? So if I put Reese down, my baby, he's going to drown. If I keep going, it, it was just... I just didn't know what to do at the time. I had to literally stand there and so just shout one stage, while I had Dean, the baby in my arms. Well, yeah, what, what, what did you do with the baby, incidentally? <laughs> So my eldest son, who's nearly nine, Darren had got him out of the water. He wasn't struggling or anything. Darren's your partner, is it? Yeah. So, you know, there's like the pillar bit on the front strand. It's like an old drain pipe, say, for all the world. It goes all the way down. Yeah. Yeah, it was right there. Um, The kids thought that by staying by that pillar bit, they'd just play. Yeah, you still there? No, God, my eldest son yeah, no, you just broke up a little bit. But for whatever reason, one second oh. Dean was was swimming away in his depth, and then he was being yeah, swept but basically, out. Basically, yeah, we all they got into the water. My husband, Dean, Mark, uh, my other son Jesse. He only paddles. He he didn't go out now in the water. And then the friend Flynn. We brought a f- uh, family friend out for the day as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, they're all in the water, knees deep wasn't even to the hips, I'd say. They didn't even cover their shorts. And there was a few waves. 
And again, the kids, the waves, to them. So it wasn't like, oh, quick, get back. You know, they weren't even out far. It was literally a few waves up to the knees. They were jumping over nothing. them. They weren't That's that nothing. high. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. 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 Um, so then Mark and Flynn, which is a family friend, and my eldest son, Mark, kind of, they got, it got a little bit deep that they were like, oh, sugar, the, the waves are a bit high, daddy. So Darren kind of pushed them onto the pillar bit, onto the rock. So the boys were walking back, but in that moment that Darren were pushing the boys up, and Mark had a hold of Dean's hand to bring him up as well. Now, they weren't struggling at this point. Mark was just grabbing Dean to pull him up as well. well like kind of a chain. Yep. Darren had Flynn. Flynn had Mark. Yep. Mark had Dean. You know, yep. all to just get up I from understand. the rock or whatever. Yep. Um, Mark let go, had no choice but to let go of Dean's hand. It was too strong. They were caught in a wave then. It was too strong. So within that split second, Dean was gone. He was sucked under the water by the pillar and he'd gone out. He was gone. So... I'm then Darren shouting, I've got the baby in my arms, all happened very quick. I had to scream for my eldest son, Mark, who just froze, to come back to take the baby off me so that I could go out and help, um, which he did. Now, that felt like a lifetime, but it was probably only about 30 seconds. Um, he came down, took the baby. I tried to get out. Um, Dean was just getting further and further away. Darren was diving in off the pillar, but Darren was getting pulled back to the shore while Dean was getting sucked under every time and pulled back out further. He was getting further and further away. He was going against where we were going. Oh so God. Darren had a hold of his own son twice and physically couldn't, like, they got, like, uh, separated. God, he couldn't hold him anymore. Almighty. Such yeah. was the power so of the current. That was panic. Yeah, definitely. And then the two fellas that I owe my life to were the other side of this pillar where the current wasn't there. They were the other side and they put themselves in that situation. What did they do? So there was two men and I think ultimately then two lifeguards. What, What happened next? So the two lifeguards weren't there at this point now. People were screaming for them, but they just hadn't got down. Um, the two fellas then, the two chaps that saved them, they actually put themselves, they swam into the current. They actually went into it, and then they started struggling. One of the lads called James, he actually ended up in hospital. He was the one that grabbed Dean and the brother Paddy. And they then, Dean was just God love and just kept screaming, help. And then every time he was opening his mouth screaming, his head was going under. Oh, for God's sake. So they tried to, James and Paddy put their own heads underwater to try and keep Dean's head afloat, if that makes sense. They were shoving Dean up, which means they were going under. So James started to struggle. Then everybody was panicking. Darren tried to get back in. It was just too strong. It was just, oh, it was madness. And then as they finally come to the sand, but then kind of James and Paddy, they had Dean like up on their shoulders, up on their chest, kind of right around their head to keep his head up. They kind of come where it was say hip length, but James was struggling to breathe. And it was then that the lifeguards had ran down at this point because everyone was like kind of screaming, saying help, help. But they were right up by the hush, and we were right down by the pillar. So it was a good. It was a good distance. So would they be, they'd normally be at that hut with, like, what, binoculars, I get, just, just scanning all of the yeah. time, is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd, it, say, yeah I'd say they just missed it initially. Because, it, it, yeah, it just, it felt like a light, and it probably wasn't, it was probably about four minutes. But it just felt like an awful lot longer, especially when you're standing there. And like I said, I was debating, if I put the baby down, my one-year-old is going to drown. Because it would have been... How are we, how, I can't even floor. imagine how you were feeling. What was going through your head? It was head? that, what do I do? And then Darren then, had, I'd seen him diving twice and he was struggling. So it was just, you don't even have time to think. It's just... As you watch your son then, go beneath the waves over and over and over. Yeah. And when Paddy and James got him up, 
Dean was just screaming, help, because all the child kept saying was help. Not mummy, not daddy. I think he thought, which we all did, he was going to die. It wasn't like, mummy, mummy, he was help. That's all he kept saying. And the dream had gone blue. It was, he got a grey, bluey colour. Like, and and James and Paddy are brothers, white. are they? They are, yeah. yeah. I've been in touch with them since, luckily enough, yeah. To thank them, obviously. Yeah, yeah, definitely. James sent me a video. He was actually in hospital because Dean then ended up in hospital as well. Yeah, I have a photograph of them all dripped up here and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God yeah. almighty. And what does he make of his experience? So have you, lucky. Have you, has he chat, have you chatted to him about it or is he in shock? Uh, yeah, Dev, he wouldn't get into the bath that night. He wouldn't get in. Now, he didn't say, oh, it's because I nearly drowned. It was just, no, he wouldn't... He wouldn't talk about it. He just God, wouldn't go the in. Experience we went, went away through. camping. Yeah, we went away camping just for the weekend, just to get out of the town, get away from the sea, just kind of distract him a little bit. And we happened to pass like a little tiny little stream, not even a river, a stream on this walk that we went on camping. And he wouldn't as much as put his finger in. I wonder, as a seven-year-old now, will he always have a fear of water after this? I hope not. I wouldn't be the type of parent now which would be. That's it now, no more water. I would, not that I'd even force him or encourage him, but if he said to me, Mammy, I want to go into the water again, I'd be like, yeah, come on then, Dean, we'll just have to be extra careful. Do but you're right, though, with regards to, to never underestimate the power of the water, because it's just beyond just lucky can't. that your son, you know, that you're not planning yeah, a funeral. Beyond. God almighty. Yeah, and for the seven years of his life, he's always been in the water, the sea. We live by about ten different beaches. And is, we go swimming yeah. all the time. Yeah. And, and is James know? okay in hospital, one of the brothers who saved him? Yeah, I think he ended up with actually an infection in his lung. He had fluid in his lungs, and now he's got an infection. And Dean's now left with just a, just a cough. He's got to go back to the doctor now for antibiotics, I'd say. They told me to watch out if his cough gets any worse. They were two brave men, weren't they? Oh, God, they were. They're just, it's, it goes without saying. I put it on my post, and I mean, and they know themselves. If it wasn't for them to chat now, Dean, would, he would genuinely be dead. There's no doubt in my mind or question about it. I actually had James and Paddy's mother text me just to, you know, wish Dean a speedy recovery, and she said we all could have lost our sons that day. She said James is in hospital. She said, like, she's just so proud of her children, as she should be. And oh, she was saying my God, I can't even... He was only 16. Paddy, he's only 16. Yeah, only 16 he is. And he jumped in then to save Dean. And then apparently he turned around and said to his mam all that night, Friday night, mam, the child was gone like he was just gone. So I think he's got a little bit of trauma there as well now. What he's seen and what he's done. Uh, I would say early 20s. I'm not sure. That's just a guess. But Paddy's definitely 16. Could you imagine if we were reporting on the drowning of your son and the two men who went to his aid, triple drowning in y'all? yeah. God, it could yep. so easily it's happen. Horrific. Now, my son, the eight-year-old, he, he had a dream last night, all right? He said this morning when he woke up in the tent, he said, Mammy, he said, I had a dream last night. I said, well, what, what was you dreaming about? And he said, I was stuck underwater, but I could actually breathe this time. God, so almighty. It just goes to show, terrible, yeah. I'm yeah. so, everybody is so relieved, you know, that everybody is safe yeah. and well because it's just like the power of the water. You have, you're, defense, you're defenseless against some of the currents that people get caught in, yeah. no matter how much you try. And I suppose, I always thought as well, like, you know, if you're out far, you'll drown, if that makes sense. I never, it would never cross my mind, oh, you can be knees deep and get sucked in. I just completely naive to the water. Yeah. Yeah. You know, ignorant yeah. of what can happen yeah. because that is actually what happened to us on Friday. The child went up to maybe his hips, knees, hips, length. 
and he's only small. He's real petite, like for a seven-year-old, and just gone, just swept under and just gone. Yeah, yeah. in yeah. a second. We didn't even take. My husband was there. That that will tell you. It wasn't true. Lack of parenting or negligence. My husband was actually there with him, and you he were just all got together, yeah. to the left yeah. of my. You're husband. all swimming together yeah. as family and friends, all in one group. Yeah. Listen, you're yeah. so relieved, and so are all of us that there was that there was a tragedy yeah. averted. And again, thankfully, Dean will will recover as to whether he'll. Get yes, over his fear of water here, things. But James and Paddy, well done to those two brothers. Well yeah, done to them. Absolutely, oh. they're heroes. Yeah. They're where where heroes. are they from? Do you know where they're from or anything like that? Uh, I think they're from just Cork City. I think. Yeah. Okay. And Joe, it's funny as well. They weren't meant to be at the beach that day. They were meant to go somewhere else, but they couldn't get parking, so said they'd stop off at the beach. Was they it very busy? Be the beach time. was it very busy? Uh, it was busy enough. Like you had space between people and all that. I suppose like, it, it wasn't jam-packed like say Tremor or uh, yeah but like it was the busiest it was just, busy you, enough yeah, yeah yeah just wondering are there enough lifeguards you know well I like you know if it wasn't well, put it this way and I don't mean any disrespect by saying this if it wasn't for James and Paddy Dean would be dead it was not to do with lifeguards I know I know if that makes sense yeah it does okay Siobhan thanks for sharing and I'm so glad that he's alive and well and safe thank you Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. All the best. And well Thanks. done to James and Paddy, two brothers. And they may, may Paddy have a speedy recovery. Or James, I should say. It's James in a hospital. May have a speedy recovery. And well done. Two brave brothers. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. I mentioned earlier on this morning, Chris Minturn won Ironman 2022 down in Yall. Joins me by phone. Chris, good morning. Morning, Neil. How's Congratulations. How are you feeling? Stiff? Yeah, I'm... Uh, I'm in a bad window this morning, but um, happy out, can't complain. Oh my God, well, just because I saw some of the video, particularly the swimming. Jeez, they're f- you're fast swimmers in fairness. You went at it at some clip. It was amazing yeah. to watch. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it's a long day, but just have to stay relaxed, you know, you don't want to get carried away too early. The crowds um, were something else, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was what came first? Just talk us through, was it the swim first or the cycle or the run or what? Yeah, so yesterday was the full distance Ironman, which was a 3.8k swim, uh, 180 kilometres on the bike, and then a marathon run. <laughs> Tired I know. of listening to you. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's crazy sport, right? But I, I hadn't done one before. So you you stepped up from triathlons, is it? Yeah, I was doing the shorter distance events, the sprint distance type stuff, and then I moved up to the longer distance events in the last few years. So, how do you do... The swim. I mean, do you have to pace yourself rather than go off fast and then find that you're struggling or what? How does it work? Yeah, yeah. You just you you kind of have to stay relaxed all day as long as possible. There's at, at no point really are you um, pushing it too hard. You just kind of have to stay as relaxed as you can as long as possible, and then hope you have something left by the time the marathon comes around. Because uh, if you go too hard, like 42k is a long way to be suffering for. And I think a lot of people get carried away. All right, they might. Um, especially with crowds and things like that. And then uh, Windmill Hill is no easy climb either. So a lot of people would have, I'd say, struggled with the, trying to run off um, a climb like that. But yeah, just staying relaxed is the main thing. And was it, so how many competitors, incidentally? I think there was 2,400 entries for the race yesterday. No, I'm not sure how many actually started. But um, yeah, just under 2,500 were entered. And and how does it work then? So you complete the swim, right? Um, you do the 3.8 kilometre swim. Is it straight yeah, onto the bike there, then? Yeah, there's a transition area. It was in Green Park across from the Walter Alley Hotel. So the, night, the race almost starts the night before. You need to rack your 
transition bags, which will have your helmet in it and your runners and any nutrition you might need, as well as your bike. So when you come out of the swim, you go in through the transition area, take off your wetsuit, put that into the bag, take out your helmet, put that on, put some nutrition or whatever you need into your tri-suit, collect your bike and then head out then for the 180k bike. And similarly, when you come back, you just rack your bike, take off your helmet, put that into your transition bag and take out your runners and grab more food or whatever you need and then off you go on the run. But you're, And you're constantly on the clock. There's no clock stopping between the three no. disciplines. No, even trans... And that's something that... Um, that's something that's important. Like, I know you need to stay as relaxed as you can in the changing zones, but th- that's still time that's been added on to your overall finish. So you just need to be as quick as you can. At what stage did you start thinking, if I can endure this, I can win this? Um... Uh, to be honest, it didn't really. I, I didn't really think about it until maybe later in the run. I was just trying to execute the best day I could for myself. You, it, like in the shorter distance stuff, you can you can pick people or you can race people, and if somebody comes past you, you can try and follow them. But at a, a, a race of this distance, um, you can't get carried away by somebody else's effort or their pace. You just kind of have to stick to yourself. Um, so yeah, I just kind of had that in my mind for all day, really. You di- you didn't finish the swim first, did you? Uh, yeah, the fastest swim I think <laughs> I did around 48 minutes did you finish the cycle first yeah 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 I was so, in off the bike surely at that yeah, stage yeah. you said I could win this yeah yeah I knew then it was a, it was a possibility alright but <laughs> see the thing is like um, the time gas can blow out quickly like if you blow up at all and you start walking let's say you're, you could be 20 minutes up and 30k into the run thinking you have it won but 12k is a long way to be walk- like you, you-, you still there Chris where people just blow up, you know. So I was what does blow up mean? Sorry, I lost you for a bit there. Sorry. Um, if you blow up, basically, you just run out of energy yeah, and okay. you, you, you could cramp or you, like, you've lost salt or things like that and you, you just can't really function properly. You get dizzy. And even though you might only be a few kilometres from the finish line, it, it has happened at races where people completely fall apart. And I just... So I never, at, at no stage did I say to myself that it was a guaranteed victory, no you, you know, wouldn't take it for granted because it could be 30 no. 40 kilometers or 30 40 meters and you could just go down like a sack of spuds yeah on the line yeah yeah no it, it wasn't was it as hot yesterday as say saturday or friday no i don't think so it was there was a bit there was parts of the day where it was there's some cloud cover which helped uh, although i know some people still found it quite hot i mean it's still not typical irish conditions for a race like that but it was nice. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. Did the did the um did the support of the public help? Yeah, it did. I have never seen anything like it. Windmill Hill was goosebumps moment. The like for anyone training on Windmill Hill, like there would have been people living in Cork and around Munster in Ireland who would have practiced the route for the past few weeks and months. And when you turn onto Windmill Hill and you see it, it's kind of daunting, you know. But is it a bit like race, Patrick's Hill? Is it? Yeah, very similar. But the problem is in the race, when you turn the corner to approach it, you can't see anything because there's just so many people everywhere. You've got about two metres of road and you don't know how long the climb is because there's just people everywhere, uh, which is cool. Yeah, it's cool. They kind of, they, they juice you up and they give you the, the adrenaline rush that you need. The crowd support yeah. does that, doesn't it? You see it all the time yeah. in sports, you know? Uh, but you also need to be conscious that you don't let that, um, you don't get too excited by that and start start running too hard or something because... You know, people are revving you on, but you have to just stay calm and stick to your plan. And how did the run go then, the marathon, after 180 kilometres on a bike and nearly a nearly four-kilometre swim? How was that? Yeah, that was fu- it was fine. I was, hoping to, um, I was hoping to run under about three hours for the marathon, so 
because of that I knew I had to be somewhat relaxed getting off the bike and I knew like, I, I think no matter how fit you are or no matter how you pace it it's going to hurt eventually like there comes a point where everybody is in pain and you just know that that's not just you on your own that everybody's feeling that and it, I think really about the 25 kilometer mark I had a moment of weakness where I was like how am I going to run another 17 kilometers what um, do you say to yourself to counteract that um I think you just tell yourself that it's a, a, a low patch, that you go through like highs and lows during it. Um, and I just say, okay, this is a low patch. G- give yourself another kilometre or two and you might be feeling better again. And thankfully I did. I, I came out of it and I started visualising, let's say, the finish line or, you know, I get a little bit closer to home and you can get a little bit more excited. I think it's fascinating. And tell me, Chris, did many, you know, you say maybe two and a half thousand start. Do many drop off? Yeah, um, well, thankfully the weather was good this year. In 2019, when it was torrential rain, I think it had the highest percentage of DNFs Did in not any finish. Ironman event in Europe. Yeah, that didn't finish. Yeah, DNFs. Um, yesterday, I'm not sure how it was, but yeah, it's, and it, people cannot finish for multiple reasons. It could be mechanical on the bike, you know, you, mean you do all the training and then you get a flat tyre or you snap your chain. Oh, or, no, um, really? Or some people mightn't have had the training done and they just get found out on the day. And then for some people, it might be a case of they've got their nutrition totally wrong and they're getting sick and their stomach can't handle it. So, yeah, there's, there's various there's reasons why people might not reasons, actually finish. Yeah. So you just mean, have to, it's such a long day, you just have to hope for the best. The speed of the swimmers, that was fast, like, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was fine, but we had a, it probably looked a bit more impressive because we had a, um, we were going against the current for the first half and we had the current with us for the second half. <laughs> So it probably looked a bit faster. To it looks fantastically that. fast, I have to say. So do you, is, it's a mountain bike, is it? No, 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 no. It's, it's a, a no, time but, bike. Sorry, you, you started on mountain bikes, I think, wasn't it? Way back in the day. Used to be timing yourself against, against people doing triathlons when you were a kid and things like that. Yeah, um, I did my first sprint triathlon in Yall in 2007. And yeah, I was 12 years old at the time and I did that one on a mountain bike. Um, but that was just getting into the sport, you know, I didn't yeah, know any different. I know that, uh, yeah, you were young, but the, the seed was planted at that stage. Yeah, yeah and I finished 180 something, to somewhere in the 180s and I was just trying to figure out, I couldn't wrap my head around how I was going to improve or how I was going to beat the guys that were up front. I just thought they were next level. Is this so a first Irish or Cork win for Ironman, do you know? Yeah, um, Alistair Brownlee won this in 2019, which was the first event. He's double Olympic champion, and this is only the second running of it. So, yeah, uh, I think this is this is the first time it's been a Cork person. So, yeah, that's well. Good. What do you do then when you finish? Come across the finish line, you finish the the marathon. Do you rehydrate? Do you eat? Do you sleep? What? Do you know what the worst part is? You need to collect all your stuff that's still in the transition area after the race. So even after finishing the race, you have to go back to the transition area, collect your wetsuit, your helmet and your bike and bring all that stuff back to wherever you're staying. And everyone's just knackered. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, Rather for me, anticlimactic, um, collecting your yeah. kit. Yeah. And I after just, that? Um, I was just enjoying watching everybody else who was racing. Um, I had loads of friends who were taking part. And the buzz around y'all was just electric Incredible. Um, for the what, whole weekend. What happened to Svenja Thos? I'm pronouncing her name right. She was disqualified. Yeah, she won the women's event and she got disqualified for outside assistance. So what that means is 
at no point. So there's there's multiple nutrition stops along the bike course and the run course where you can throw away your gels, um, your empty water bottles, and take fresh ones, fresh bottles, fresh um, new energy gels, things like that. Uh, but you can only take them from the official nutrition stops. You cannot take them from friends or family members. And the reason for that is to neutralize the race, to make it fair for everybody so that if you're traveling abroad and you're in somebody's hometown, let's say, and they have 20 yeah. or 30 friends there, who can, like, you don't. if you're struggling on a marathon run and somebody has somebody ha- handing them ice and water and you're dying on your own, it's not it's really fair. It's an unfair so. advantage, I understand. Yeah, and I did that happen? Did her, were her mates doing that or something? Uh, allegedly. I, I didn't see it myself, but that's okay. the reason for disqualification, yeah. Heartbreaking for her, but um, yeah. and in co- the second person then becomes the winner, is it? Yeah. And uh, what often happens in those cases, I have no idea what happened yesterday, but I know if I was in second position and the winner had taken a bottle from me, I would also lodge a complaint myself, like 100%. Um, I wouldn't let that, um, because it, it is unfair. It's it too is unfair. T- it is Listen, unfair it's advantage. too tough an endurance for that to be allowed to win. It really yeah. is. Yeah. I understand. Yeah, but that. everyone knows the rules and, um, they, yeah, everyone knows. It wouldn't have been a shock to anybody for that to, to know that you can't do that. Celebrate last night? Couple of pints? No, I, I well, I, yeah, um, I had one with the intention of having more, but then um, no, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't. Um, do it. <laughs> yeah, I got overexcited. I got yeah, so no, um, I will all right over the next few days, but I just I know, I know, you know I've all the intentions, and then when you sit down, you're just knackered. Where are you based now? I'm living in Frankfurt, nice. so I'm living and working over in Frankfurt, and um, yeah, just home for a few weeks. Are you? Are you in the? Where are you now? Are you in the lock now? I'm actually in uh, Yall. I'm still in Yall. All right. So, um, but the family are in the lock. I think you're from the lock, are you? Yeah, yeah, from the lock. Yeah, right, yeah. Okay. You won't be running around the lock a few times, then, will you? No, give it a rest. No. You probably no, said no, to no. yourself, "I am never ever doing another Ironman in my life." <laughs> uh, no, I'm actually only looking back now, thinking um, what I can do to, yeah, shave off a few minutes, maybe. But <laughs> next year, <laughs> you're a glutton. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations, Chris Minturn. Well done. And uh, what kind of time did you do? Not that it matters. I'm sure it was fast. Yeah. Eight, eight hours eight and 38 hours, minutes. They tell me that's yeah. damn good, is it? Um, I mean, times don't really matter, I think, in these races because courses are so different. You could have a flat motorway in Barcelona or you could be up Windmill Hill or you could be... On, yeah. Yeah. yeah, times are irrelevant, really. But well yeah, I'm done. happy with it. Well done. Cheers. You should Thanks be very much. happy and we are too. Congratulations, Chris. Thank you. Thanks Cheers, so much. Iron Man 2022. Catherine, just very quickly, you want to give a shout out to David, is it? Yes, um, uh, my husband David um, participated yesterday and completed his um, first ever Iron Man. Now he was there in 2019, but the twin was cancelled, so he's done it now. And David Hanlon from Churchtown, Amala. How's he yes. feeling after it? He's actually very good. I mean, afterwards he was a bit shook and he was walking funny, but then he'd go back like and collect all his bits and bobs, you know, his bike and his bags and stuff. And we walked back to the um, car park and uh, I had to get the bus with my with my family back yeah. to the other car park. But we had a great day. A shout out to y'all. Oh my God, the town was fabulous. They really you know, the did pull it off. Amazing. Yeah, they really and we did. were there to support all his um, fellow uh, club mates from Mallow Troy. So they were participating both on the Saturday and the Sunday. So we were down two days in a row. So great. great time. And all his family from Dublin were down. His two sisters, his mum and his dad and their families, nephews and nieces. So it was an experience for everybody. Everybody get, everybody um, get a medal or a 
shirt or a yes. jersey? Oh, or? God, they've got a T-shirt and medals. And, um, I mean, they're, they're so important. Well, they, they can never take it away from them. I, I'm out of time yeah. for now, but congratulations to David Hanlon from Churchtown and Mallow, mm-hmm. who completed Ironman yesterday. They can never take yes. it from them. Thanks for that. Me. All the best, Thank Catherine. You. Take care. Back after 11. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Frienderville Show Alright, I need you to get your thinking hats on because we'll be lightening the mood a little later this morning and every day this week we have 250 euro vouchers to give away for JJ Walsh's It's a brand new bar a new heritage bar that opens on Oliver Plunkett Street and opens on the 18th a little later in the week and it's newly renovated three bars including a cocktail bar including an outdoor bar live music food source from the English market. They really are doing everything right. Amazing the way things have changed and we're embracing and using what we have. Don't mean to sound like a lecture, but we do have 250 euro vouchers to give away every day this week that you can spend in the brand new Heritage Bar that is JJ Walsh's on Oliver Plunkett Street. But it's time now for you to get your thinking hats on, right? So for today's mechanic, and we'll see how it goes. Maybe we might use it tomorrow. We'll see. Think about Cork and think about the heritage of Cork because that's what JJ Walsh's are doing, thinking about heritage. So you'll get 60 seconds, right? We'll start around about a quarter to midday. 60 seconds to come on air and tell us about your favourite place in Cork and why. So I'm not giving you about a half an hour to think about that, right? Then I'll open the phone lines. It might take maybe three or four calls and see how we get on. Your favourite place in Cork, 60, and it can be Cork City or County, whatever the case may be, 60 seconds your favourite place in Cork and why. As well as that, between now and midday, I'll talk a little bit more about Cork on a Fork. And that's the big food festival that happens on Side, And that kicks off this week. There is one event, though, that I have tickets to give away for. And that's the Taste of Princess Street part of Cork on a Fork. So it's one of the festival highlights. 200 guests will be seated along the pedestrianised street for a formal long table style dinner. And you will be fed from Nash 19, Quinlan Seafood, Ristorante Rossini, Teddo's Tapas and Wine Bar, Oak Fire Pizza, Burnt Pizza and Clancy's. Now you can buy tickets yourself. You want to arrive very hungry because there'll be great food there that night. Tickets are €125 per person and the last ones are available and it will sell out at uh, www.tasteofprincesstreet.eventbrite.ie But I have two tickets to give away and the tickets are €125 per person. A wonderful evening and also your food will be paired with drinks to match the food. There'll also be live street music. So Wednesday night's going to be a great night. Six o'clock kickoff on Princess Street. I love these events. It's great to have all this back. Uh, so we'll give away two tickets this side of midday. Back after the break, calls on the way. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 Red FM. Uh, Paula was stuck in a lift with her friend who uh, is very, very uh, touchy-feely about lifts in the first place. Never mind when the lift broke down and they were jammed in it and stuck in it and couldn't get out. And her friend went into a real panic. Along came Callum, little seven-year-old boy who happened to be there at the time and saved the day and alerted people's attention. And the two ladies got out and they were very grateful to him. Uh, I think Callum's dad texted us and then we let us to Callum and his mom Katie. So I just want to say well done to Callum. I won't keep him long. Callum, good morning. Good morning. Well done. Fair play. You're a hero. You saved two women in a lift at the weekend. Fair play. 
for a second here. Thank you. How did you notice that they were in trouble? Because I looked there was a window at the elevator. I looked in and then I saw them. And what were they doing? Were they caught trying to attract your attention? Were they shouting? No, they were just standing there for someone, and then they looked up and then my dad um, told them what to do, and then I. So a man came up and then I got down to open the door for them. Yeah, but before that, you noticed that they were that they couldn't get out, wasn't it? Yeah. And did you shout to somebody? One of them was, what did you one say? Of them was crying. One of them was what? Crying. One of them was crying. Crying, and you could see her crying inside in the lift, could you? Yeah. And did you call someone then and say, "There's two women stuck in the lift"? Yeah. And who did you say that to? In the repairman. The repair... Oh, you found the repairman? Oh. Wow. And before you know it, they were on. What did they say to you when they got out? Thank you. Thank you. They were... Did they give you a few bob? Yeah. <laughs> Have you spent it? They called you a hero. They called you a hero. That's because you are a hero, Callum. Well done. Well done. Thank Mam- you. Mammy, can you hear me, Katie? I can, yeah. <laughs> you got a hero on your hands there. What do you think? I know. I know. Were you there? Was, we were, we were, yeah. Um, we came, we went into Jisk and he he was telling me to use the lift and I was like, no, it's fine. And he was like, mom, there's two people stuck in there. <laughs> so yes. then he went and told he went and told the man that there was someone stuck inside, but two women stuck inside there. Off he went and saved the day in fairness to him. Yeah. He's a hero yeah, on the radio delighted. this morning, huh? Yeah, he was delighted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Listen, I just wanted to say well done to him and to the family. I've got some... Ca- Callum. Yeah. There's some lovely... I have some lovely prizes here if you wanted to go away for a day with your family. How many's in the family? Have your brothers or sisters? I have a baby sister. My mom is pregnant with and one more. <laughs> Did you know that, Katie, that you were pregnant with one more? Yeah. <laughs> so are you the oldest, Callum? <laughs> yeah, I'm the oldest. Uh, my dad and my mom um, with my baby sister and my other one had me. The other one that's on the way. Would yeah. you Would you prefer another brother or another sister, Callum? Brother. <laughs> what do you because think of that, Katie? You have the sister. He wants a brother, Katie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, as if you weren't under enough pressure as it is. I know. Would, <laughs> would, you, would you like one of our family tourist passes, you guys, to take the family off with pregnant mum? <laughs> I'd send you to Perks, maybe, Katie. Put you in the bumper cars. Yeah. <laughs> would, would you like to go do you know what Perks is Callum yeah it's um, in yard would you like to go down there for a day yes <laughs> okay. well just check with your mammy is that okay ma'am yeah, that's fine, yeah. Right. Perfect, thanks very much. Okay, we'll organise a Perks Family Entertainment Pass for you. And you can go down right. and have a great day there, Callum. And bring your brother with you, Thank or your you. sister with you, and your brother-to-be, all right? Thank you. Well done, congratulations. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Take care, Callum. Bye. 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 
Oh my God, he's incredible. I just love it. He's just incredible. Well done, Callum. Congratulations. Enjoy your day in Perks. And also for saving the day, you are a hero. Now, let me go to another story. This is deadly serious. I've seen the photograph. I've seen the aftermath of this incident. I really have. And it is one hell of a smashed um, caravan, or should I say camper van. Alan, good morning. Hello, Neil. How are you? I'm grand. Um, I don't know how to approach this. You you got on the on your holiday, went on your holidays, got the camper van, got on the ferry, went to Roscoff. What happened? Yeah, we got off on Roscoff on Sunday morning after a great time with my two boys and my wife, and uh, got off the ferry at about seven and headed for St John the Mons. And two hours into the journey, um, it had been a fierce thunderstorm during the night and a lot of rain. Yeah, and we were just coming down the slow lane and. The camper van just took off. It was like on ice. The, the roads had got so wet and diesel and tyres and, and the rain just turned the roads into ice and she just started sliding, had done a 360, went across the road and flipped three times and landed on landed on, eventually on its side and we were trapped in the camper van. You've seen the pictures to the inside. My two boys were, thanks be to God, alive. Were they in the uh, back oh, with the beds and the bunks the, and the kitchen and the furniture? Yeah, yes, they were in the back with um, their seatbelts on and how they survived, I don't know, because you've seen the pictures, the carnage, but thanks for the God, someone was looking down on us. And The interior in of the room. cabin is absolutely totaled, like as yes. if a bear got into it and wrecked it. Yeah, yeah, how they survived, it's, it's, it's just a miracle, to be quite honest. Um, my wife was upside down in her seat. Up above me, I was in my seat. Looking up at her, and we just started roaring for our two boys. And thanks to God, they were alive. Smoke started coming in. We were trapped inside in it, and we had to kick out the the skylight. And a, a man and an off-duty um, guard or policewoman came along and pulled them out of the skylight, and we got out. And thanks to God, we're alive. Now we're stuck in a hotel in rain, trying to get on, trying to get on the ferry tomorrow to get back home to cop. We have Harry no clothes. We were able to just, we were just able to grab out of the, where the, the tow truck took back to the tow company, and we were able to grab our money, our passports, our bits of clothes, which were, as you've seen, was probably soaked and destroyed. We're drying them on rags in the hotel room, and there's a crossing. Excuse me, there's a crossing tomorrow evening going back to Cork. So we're just hoping to get on that. We're trying to. Get on to people who might know someone. To you just want to come home, do you, Alan? Yeah. We want to come home. We just want to come home to our family. Like it's been, a, it's been a nightmare. Like I can, I can own, I can't even begin to imagine. And is it normal? I mean, fair play. They had seat belts on in the back. You're saying is that? Do people normally do that? You'd be thinking the kids oh, yes, would be moving yes, around. Yes. Oh, the, oh yes, that, that you have. You have your seats in the camper vans with 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 your seat belts. Yes, that that's just that that is part and parcel. But like, I just that's like very responsible. Anyone, in fairness, I mean that saved them. I'd like to put out. I just like to put out there anyone that is on holidays or going on holidays in a camper van or even a car, be aware of the rain because they haven't had rain here for forty or fifty days, and the roads are just like ice. What's going like through your mind when you lose control? Oh, it just happened so quick. I just shouted for, for everyone to hold on. And it just happened so quick. I, I uh, look. I spent a day yesterday in total shock. Um, I'm just looking at my kids and my wife, and just 
looking at life in a whole different perspective. Uh, uh, we're just have each other, which is the most important thing in anyone's life. And I'm after realising that now, like, it's just, we should not be alive today. You the accident was so bad. Hey, like, how many times did it flip? Not that you were counting. It spun. Um, two, two times. Because the front cab, like, this is where you were sitting with your wife. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's, yeah. It's crushed yeah, down on top. I mean... Yeah. Like, it, you're lucky, yeah. like you, it, lucky you didn't hear, hit other vehicles, for instance. Yeah, there was another car behind us. Same thing happened to him. He he spun around and he landed up in the verge as well, but he was okay. Actually, that man got out of the car and came down and helped helped me get my pass my kids out to the, the skylight out to him. I see the skylight torn out, Joe. Yeah, that's the hole. Yeah. Is that the hole where you got out? Yeah, that's where we got out. The smoke was coming in. Today. It was just horrific. I, it was... I never ever ever. Oh, uh, and I'm not, I don't mean to dwell on it, but again, I, I look, looking at the photographs, I was thinking that could have caught fire. Well, anyway, and it was smoke was coming into it from the engine at the time. I tried to kick out the windscreen, couldn't do it, and I kicked out the the, the skylight and, and passed everyone out through there. So um, the, the gars, the the, yeah. the the gars, the John Dons, as they call them, they. They had no word of English. No, they were great. They were fantastic, very helpful, but um, no English. So um, thanks to the God, this off-duty guard, a female, she was fluent in English, and she was asking me, um, where are you from? And I said, uh, we're Irish. And he, and she said, uh, but you speak English? I said, oh, look, look, that's a long story. I couldn't go into that history, like, but um, we speak English in Ireland, and she was more than helpful, like, you know. I mean, the utter devastation yeah. in the back of that cabin is just how two young fellas got out of that alive. Are they injured? Are either, any of you injured? Um, my boy has a bad cut on, he, on his foot. My youngest lad, Archie. My, my oldest lad uh, is 11, Tiernan. He's a hero. He's just an absolute hero. He just, he's just so calm, hugged his little brother. His brother was just crying at me, please don't let me die, please don't let me die. Um... It was. Uh, it was just. It was. Uh, I, uh, it was just the worst experience. How are you going to come back from re- that experience? I mean, that's going to be a. Oh, hard I don't job. know. I suppose I don't know. Look, we're trying to process the whole lot of it. No, um. God. Just, we just want to get home. That's you just all. Want we to just get, want to get now, home. Now you've been told you're in a hotel in Wren with the clothes on your back. Yeah, correct. You want to come yes. home. There's a ferry from Roscoff tomorrow night. But who's telling you? You've been told it's full. Is it? It's full, and it's full, and for insurance reasons. They can let us on. Um, but I had a guy from the port of Cork rang me this morning because we rang Michael McGrath, the TD, yesterday evening, and he was very helpful, no, to be honest. So he must he must have went and got on to someone. I had a fellow from port of Cork ringing me this morning, and he said, keep your phone on. That, um, Brittany Ferries, hopefully, will ring me, and with the help of God, he'll get us on that ferry tomorrow evening. So what, kind of, what ferries go out of Roscoff? Is it Brittany and Irish ferries? Is there two, or is it just the one? Brittany Ferries, there's two boats. There's one go on the Tuesday, it's the smaller one, and then the bigger one goes on the Saturday and comes back Friday and comes back on the Saturday as well, you know. So what one is tomorrow? Yeah, we're trying to get on the one tomorrow. And is that a Brittany Ferries? Brittany Ferries is correct, yeah. yes. I know some people down in the Port of Cork, and you are right, they are incredible people and they're very efficient yeah, and yeah. they do have... To be, con- fair now, to be fair now, Neil, everyone has been more than helpful. The people from our home has been ringing me and what they can do, do we need money? Just like people are being outstanding, the people are Cork and friends and everything. It's they're 
they're more than helpful, like, you know what I mean? Been fantastic, but we just, I just need to get my family on that ferry tomorrow and get you know, home. You know, you know after a trauma home. like that, and trauma doesn't even begin yeah. to describe it, you just want no, to be no. within your own four walls and close your own front door. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, we're just thank, thankful to be alive, like, and... Uh, oh, my God, we're you are like, so lucky. We're looking at life at a whole different purpose. I'd say so, like, yeah. And, and as, as yeah, a dad yeah. and a mom of two small children as well, that's hard to process yeah. as a parent, isn't it? Yeah, it's like when you close your eyes last night, now, like you're just getting flashbacks of what what could have been, what was, what is. It's just, it's it's every emotion you can think of. Like, it's, it's, it's incredible, like, you know. Yeah, yeah in my conversation with you probably will be impactful from people listening to our conversation. But to see the photograph of the interior again, I mean, I don't want to be, you know... Yeah, you're free. You're free to, to put it up on your. No, on I, your... I, I thank you for that. I know. I just, I mean, I don't mean to be dwelling on it because you end up reliving yeah. the experience. But I was absolutely yeah. shocked when I saw it. Yeah, that, it's, that it's, anybody it's yeah. who would get trapped under all of that, you know, with because stuff was clearly flying around all over the back. Oh my God! If it flips, yeah, everything and is... we and we have a family dog, Bruno, who we decided to leave at home, who we love. And thanks for the God we left him at home because he wouldn't have survived. Like, Was that your own camper van? That's my own camper van. I bought it. <coughs> I bought it only the year before, the year before last. And it was my pride and joy. I spent every penny I had on it. And we were a year planning on going on this super holiday to um, St. John Le Mans. And the boys, we were all ready and we never even got there. But you know what? We're alive. Okay. You're absolutely getting it right in saying that because you are lucky yeah. to be alive. Camper yeah, van. We are lucky that's to finished be alive. anyway. That's the end of that. That's oh, gone. never that's... again. I said, I get it. The next camper van we get and the kids look to me will be a key ring. A key ring? Yeah. I uh, never get a camper van again. Ever, ever again. Why? Why? Because. It's no, it's just that? experience. And, and look, I was unlucky. I was one of the unlucky ones. The kids were. Like you could imagine the kids would never get into a camper van again. I understand. Yeah, I understand. I know. I know. A nine year old and an eleven year old experience that? My God. I suppose there's there's height in a camper van, of course. Uh, no, this has well, to that, do that, with that. see the guy that's the guy that slid behind me in the car, he was in the car and he's low to the ground, so he slid, spun around and went into the grass forage and was actually okay. But the thing with the camper van you had you have tank, water tanks at the side, you have, you have diesel tanks, you have everything that you put into it. The cab is so high, and of course when she starts spinning, she's so top-heavy, she flipped. So, um, oh my just, God. just let people, just tell people that are on holidays out there that might be listening to you, if they're coming home and there is rain, tell them leave earlier and drive slow. Thankfully you're because alive and we'll have uh, you know, and, alive, and, yeah. and we'll, and we'll, and we'll get home with your family and of course you are right yeah. family is first and yeah. you know yeah. a situation yeah. like that reinforces that that it's all about family and it's it's all about being oh, together we, and being we, safe. We, the four of us just hugged each other on the side of the road yesterday like it's, it's just make you appreciate that everything is family in life you know it is everything. And do you need for anything? No, no, Neil. I'm grand. I'm fine. I have money. I we we're we're all good. Everything is perfect. We just need a bit of help at getting the ferry home tomorrow evening. That is all I want. Okay. I well, we're we're on to Brittany ferries as well right now, and Seamus is on it just to see if we can expedite anything. Port of Cork are brilliant, though. If they can do anything, yeah. if anything can be done, I would say there's no harm in us getting on to Brittany ferries and saying we yeah. are discussing on the air this, and it would be a good thing for you to be able to make this happen. This family are traumatized, and you should expedite them coming home. 
that may well help, but Porter Cork will help as well. I know that for sure. Yeah, that guy from Porter Cork was, was a very, very nice chap. I actually sent him the pictures as well and he got back onto me and said, oh my God, how did you survive? Oh, it was just, that's what I'm asking you. Yeah. Oh, you're walking yeah, and talking. It's just beyond I know, me. I know. Keep your so phone when I get on. Back, yeah. When I, when I get back, I'm bringing my kids down to um, Terraform or down to Kerry. And we're going to book into a hotel and I'm going to spoil them rotten for the week. Yes, sorry. That's something to look forward to. How will you travel, say, from where you are now to, to Roscoff and then Rosslair to Cork? Oh, we will, we'll probably get, my wife had looked out, we'll probably get um, a taxi to Roscoff. He'll take us down to Roscoff. But we just need we just need the phone call to say yes you're booked on and yeah. get everything else. Let, let's get that happening first, and then we can work on the other bits. Or if there's needs need be to get you from Ross Lair to Cork and things like that, we could try and make that happen. But we're on to Brittany ferries, Port of Cork are as well. So Port of Cork, all right, keep your phone on. You'll be going as foot passengers, I suppose. We don't care if we have to whatever, whatever. Yeah. We just once we get home, we don't mind. And what about all of your stuff then? It's an all, really, all our stuff is in all the stuff is in the camper van. We just we just had to go to the tall thing. Everything was destroyed in oil and water. We have black bags full of t shirts and we're drying they were all soaking wet from the fire brigade and all that. So we're we're just drying them on the rag in the bathroom as we go. It's a horror story, but you're alive. It's you're a horror safe story, but and you're together. We're we're alive. We're alive and just hit everyone on the roads. All right. Take it easy, take it easy. My God almighty. Keep your phone on, Alan, all right? Will do, and listen, Neil, thanks very much. Oh, for God's sake, what are you thanking me for? I'm just glad that you're alive and well and able to tell the story, horrifying and all as it was. Keep your phone on, pal. Thanks for taking the call. I'll be back to you. Will do. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Oh, my God. We shared those photographs uh, online. Um, You can see for yourself the devastation and how lucky they are to be alive, Um, you know, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, don't you, don't you, I mean, do you hear of people being in the back? I mean, you, you drive camper vans. Do you hear of people being in the back? In, in the case of the family, they didn't do this, but literally walking around or making cups of tea when it's moving. Well, uh, you're not supposed to, definitely. I know that, um, but, but there are, there are seat belts and seats that you sit in while you're on, you know, while you're moving. But like it is, I mean, you can easily be in the back of it at some point or, you know, somebody could be going back to get, uh, just to grab anything, anything, yeah. anything at all. I mean, or the, the kids could take the belt off. They were, they were, they were clued in young fellas like yeah. to be belted up and sitting in and, you know, following the instructions of their parents. Look, Thank God. And you know, like, it's very, very scary because as, as you're saying here, as Alan was telling us, it's, you know, like he was, he was taking a handy. It wasn't like he was yeah, rushing for it. He had loads yeah. of time in hand and it just, it just, it's so quickly these things can happen. I mean, thankfully we haven't had that yet, but like even in our own one, like you can find when you're going downhill, the van just kind of comes away from you. It takes, you know, it's, it's a, it's not an easy thing to drive, you know. This flipped and flipped and flipped. But the centre of gravity in it is so high that, you know, any kind of issue at all, I, I'm, I'm, it's a miracle don't, they all come out Don't life. have people walking around in the back of them, incidentally, yeah. not for a moment. If you go and look at these photographs and when we share them with you, you'll see exactly why you shouldn't. All right, thanks for that, Kevin. Back after the break. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. Hopefully we can make a difference and get the family home, but pull out all the stops if you can on that one, Seamus, with Britain ferries and Port of Cork if you're listening do everything you can, let's get them home to Passage West because that's where they want to be. I was chatting earlier on with Chris Minturn, he's a man from Cork, uh, from the lock and he won uh, the Ironman, we had a good chat with him 
he did the swim, then he did the bike ride, and then he did the marathon. What about Conor O'Keefe who's doing a marathon a day for 32 days? I think he's got, um, he's on leg 19 today, which means he's got 18 completed. Maybe he's done the 19th by now. Let's find out how he's getting oh, on. Yeah. Conor, good morning. How are you, Neil? Good morning, my friend. Have you finished today's marathon? No, we're uh, we're 12 kilometres in. We took a nice old sleep last night because we've been up at 4 o'clock in the morning for the last couple of days to beat the heat. So we uh, we had a nice old snooze last night Fair to get play. us ready for this one. Are you running now as we speak or walking or what? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm running as we speak, yeah. Yeah, I'm out here. Doing the business, trying to get number 19 done. 32 marathons in 32 counties in 32 days. You started with 32 pounds on your back, so at the moment you just have 19 pounds weight carrying. No, it's uh, 50. Four, oh, hang on a second. Pounds. Yeah. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing the subtractions wrong. <laughs> You've 19 you gone. You're going to make the best heavier again, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> You've 19 taken out, you're 14 pounds left. My apologies. Yeah. Yeah, How's it going? I mean, how do you keep yourself motivated? Is it getting tougher? You know what? No, today has been fantastic because I have a couple of friends here with me. Oh, yeah. A few listeners might know me from um, RT's Ultimate Hell Week. There is one of my fellow Hell Weekers, uh, Leo, uh, here with me doing a couple of, a couple of kilometers with me. And uh, I've another friend of mine, Mikey from Cork, who's after coming all the way up here to Galway. To, to do the few loops of me, so I'm I'm in great company today to help me get it done. I know that, but it's got to be tough to get out of bed in the morning and do it day in day out. How do you convince yourself to get out of the labba? Oh, I like you know this morning. That was one of the first mornings in a long time that I didn't feel like someone had attached clothes pegs to my Achilles tendons all night. I'm walking around like I'm like stepping on Legos, just <sighs> trying to get the trying to get the body kind of ready for this stuff. So. Like, the sleep did me a world of good, but, uh, yeah, look, I think, just like anything in life, if you'll have those times where you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do this, I don't know if I'll be able to get through another day of doing this, five, six-hour runs, uh, but you sit down, you, 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 I've practiced a lot of self-talk uh, over the last number of weeks and months in training, and that's what's coming in to get me on the road every day. But that monkey on your back, that voice is getting louder, is it? Do you know what? If anything, it's getting quieter. I'm getting, I'm like, because my buddy said to me a few weeks before we started this thing, I said, he said, hey, is the confidence coming through? And I was the confidence in, in your ability to do this coming through. I said, do you know what? I have a belief. I have a belief that I can do it and I'll have to earn the confidence. So I'm earning the confidence but, right now. To but what this about out. the heat of the last four or five days or so? What was oh, that like? It's, it's been absolutely cruel. Yesterday now was very very hard to finish out like even when we had about five or six kilometers to go um it was up at around 26 degrees um i had the weighted vest on which you know doesn't make things any cooler um and it just it really like was a kind of a case of right we kind of need to get this finished for my own safety because like it's been four days now of 25 plus degrees um dehydration is a serious factor uh just like my body not being able to actually cool down afterwards and recover I feel like I'm my dog panting on the carpet after I go out and play with her like I'm trying to cool myself down you know keep keep the kind of engine cool you know I gotta ask you are you being medically checked along the way no I'm, I'm not being med- medically checked uh, but like it's, it's basically my father is um, my father is like ev- uh, uh, like an all in one so like there's, there has been people do this before uh, 32 marathons in 32 days in 32 counties like they haven't carried the weight like I am but they have done it and they've had teams of people, physios, doctors, nutritionists, all that kind of stuff. 
I have everything in one in my father. He yeah, has to fair, do everything. Fair. So, What's his name? His name is Greg. So Greg, Greg is doing all of that. He's the go-to guy. So you must be taking on a lot of calories. I know you're taking on huge amounts of water and probably a lot of electrolytes and stuff, but food as well. Yeah. Oh, I just took a sup of my, uh, what, what, what we're calling my magic run juice. Um, <laughs> like, I, I, it's like a concoction of my own kind of making. Uh, well, like, a lot of me, my, my nutritionist, Evan Lynch, uh, he basically told me to start making this concoction uh, up and try to get it into me. The, the, the hardest thing here, Neil, is like, Trying to get all that calories and sugars and carbs into your stomach as you run is very, you know, that takes training in itself. Do you, you have know? a big meal at the end of each of them then or what? Because you can't eat I, late, you know I guess. Because of the heat over the last four or five days, I've had zero appetite when I finish. So, I, it's so hard to get, the, to get the food in, to get the calories in. I was there, we were in a lovely place called Wholesome Kitchen inside Mullingar yesterday. Um, as great, great spot for a bit of food. The lads had lovely meals. And I was just looking at them trying to force down vomit from, from trying to come out because I was just, uh, I was nauseous. I was heat exhausted. Um, I just didn't feel like eating at all, you know. Oh, my God. So you're losing weight? Um, do you know what? I've been lucky. I started at around just over 90 kilos. I'm about six foot two. So um, I'm quite a lanky character. Like, you know, if you saw me now, I look like a, a hairless orangutan. Uh, like, just, just. Super long arms, super long limbs. I'm like a Where's Wally character wearing the glasses, you know. But um, I, I started at around 90, 91 kilos. I'm probably at around 86 now. So I lost about the bones of a stone, I'd say, you know. And but, you, have the which, leg, you have the back of a broken now. You'll be completing your 19th today, which means that, you yeah. know, tomorrow you'll be down to 12 to go. 12 to go. Yeah, it's brilliant. Like, I suppose we've been kind of like thinking about this before I started. I was like, as long as I get the first 10 done, the last 22 will be handy. Like, you know, that's, that's what you're going to have to tell yourself, you know. Because if I got the 10 heaviest ones out of the way, that's another milestone. Then I, I got know. number 16. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You but know, don't I get injured, 16, you see. That's the thing. That. You don't want to get injured. This is it. This is it. It's, do, you know what, do you know what this is now? It's not even so much about a challenge of, of running. It's a challenge of discipline, patience, and humility. You know, staying staying as humble as you were before you started yeah, this thing. Yeah. You know, and having respect for the marathons because that's that's where you would tend to go wrong. It's like, oh, I got this handy. I'm this in the bag, and then you go out and you start running too fast, and you just blow up, sprain uh, your ankle, it, you know, or pull a hamstring, or something. You know, this, this is this. Anything can happen. You know, it's amazing. And of course, all of this being done for Pieta House, and people can, dino, yeah. can donate at idonate.ie forward slash project 32. The goal is 100,000. You're well above 45,000, and uh, and there's still a lot of time for people to, to actually donate. So good luck with driving that on. You know? Thanks very much. It's amazing. Yeah, no, it's been amazing. And, and has like, there been know, anywhere that's been particularly lovely, or do you get to see anything? Oh, here, you know what, actually? We actually, we got a good bit of luck towards the start, because our starting, um, like our first like six or seven routes were just marvellous, but one of the highlights for me was the Antrim Coast Road. Um, I just recommend anybody to go up and see that area of the country, because it was just tremendous. They run the, the Antrim Half Marathon there. It's a very famous half marathon, and it's just wonderful views completely kind of almost took me out of the, Antrim uh, the run you yeah, know and yeah. just allowed me to enjoy it and I, I kind of I've enjoyed every day in different ways you know but in, in that day I definitely enjoy the views a lot I'm amazed that you're actually running away talking to me it doesn't it's not taking a puff out of you in fairness <laughs> <laughs> yeah no you know what it's like um, when we're when we're doing that that's kind of like one of my parameters like a uh, we work off think, uh, something, this is going to be all very science now, Neil, so this is kind of probably going to be boring, but uh, we, we run off something called RPE, 
which is your um, your kind of rate of perceived exertion. So how yeah, hard that's, do you that's think boring. is? Yeah, that's boring. You know, super boring. <laughs> but basically, how hard do you think you're running? And if I can't talk, if I can't uh, like have a conversation, then I know I'm, I'm, I'm running too fast. That's you know? not boring. I understand able, it. <laughs> you know, if I'm not able to talk to Neil Prendival on Neil Prendival's show, then <laughs> you're I'm, I'm working too hard. Well, yeah, can I talk yeah, to you again on Wednesday and see how you're feeling? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, oh, definitely. I'd absolutely love to check in with you guys again. And just, okay. just before I go as well, I know you were talking to um, the winner of the Ironman. I just want to say congratulations to my coach, Donica Fitforlong, and his wife, Ashling, who completed the Ironman yesterday in Cork. Some absolutely achievement, fantastic. wasn't it? Boy from the Lock wins Brilliant. the Ironman. Chris Minturn, fair play to him. But fair play to you yeah. as well. Enjoy Galway. I think you're in Portumna Forest Park. Who knows where yeah. you'll be when I talk to you next, but we'll stay in touch, all right? Thanks very much, Neil. Cheers, Connor. Take care. 32 marathons in 32 days. You can donate to Pieta House. idonate.ie forward slash project 32. Now, JJ Walsh's brand new bar opens this week. We have 250 euro vouchers to give away every day this week. It's not by text, lads. It's by phone. So I'll give you 60 seconds on air. You've got to name your favorite place in Cork and can be the city or the county. But you've got to talk about your favorite place in Cork for 60 seconds. So we'll take maybe three callers and the best one wins a 250 euro voucher for JJ Walsh's. Pick up the phone now, 0818 104 106. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now, 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. have that 250 euro voucher for JJ Walsh just to give away. Pick up the phone 0818 104 106. You'll be coming on the air 60 seconds, your favorite place in Cork and why. And you'll win that 250 euro voucher to spend as you please on food and drink. And JJ Walsh is on Oliver Plunkett Street. But Cork and a Fork starts on Wednesday, as I say. And uh, one of the events, of course, will be uh, a fantastic taste of Princess Street giveaway and have 125 euro worth tickets to give away, two of them to give away in a few minutes time. But what's uh, Cork on a Fork all about? Well, there's the highlight of Princess Street. There are other ones then, including a jazz lunch on Pembroke Street, a barbecue on Harley Street, lunchtime at Opera on Princess Street, uh, a stretch uh, at Sketch Yoga Brunch, sushi and yoga going on at uh, the Boardwalk uh, at Electric and lots more besides that, a Cork Food History Tour. But what do I know? John Hayes is with Cork City Council. He's the City Centre Coordinator. He'll tell us a little bit more about it. John, good morning. Good morning, Neil. So I've only given a taste, if you'll pardon the pun, but this is a pilot that your host hope to ru- ru- run out year after year if this works, right? Uh, it is, Neil. Like, it, the intention here now is that Cork become, you know, a destination, a food destination, destination of choice. Ireland is well-renowned for great food offering, and we want Cork City be, to be on top of the list of towns and cities that are mentioned when people are thinking coming for a kind of a food destination. So Cork on a Fork now is a new festival which is going to celebrate Cork food, our restaurants, cafes, chefs, the markets and the many food producers based in the Cork region. And as you say, the first festival, which is happening this week, starting on Wednesday the 17th, it will run to 21st of August with events in nearly 50 city venues. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's even too many to list out as to who's on board. It's kind of a question of who's not on board, if you like. Every restaurant seems to be involved in this. Yeah, and in fairness, we'd have to say great credit goes to the local hospitality sector because, look, we know it's it's a challenging time for them as we've all kind of emerged from COVID and I know they have supply chain and staffing issues and things like that. But when we reached out to them, they really embraced the idea of the festival uh, and they came on board with all these events 
like the, the sector and these businesses and traders, they see the potential in this, as does Cork City Council. But they, I mean, obviously, they're, they're in it to make money, and I've got at least 43 of them here on a list, but are they giving offers or discounts that would encourage people to come and, ch- and taste their food or get involved in the events? Like they, they, Neil, there's a wide range of events programmed, and some of them are paid, but there are a number of free events there as well that people can just turn up to, they can make the booking, and there are some demonstrations that they can turn up to for free. Um, so, like, we're trying to cater to a, pardon the pun, a wide, a wide taste, you know? <laughs> I see that. The, farm, the family barbecue on Beasley Street, a pizza-making work, workshop at the, at the Marina Market. I'm just throwing a few out there, you know. There's many, yeah, many. Yeah. And how can people, uh, like, you'd need a map to get around this. There must be some sort of an event uh, brochure or something, is there? And there is, um, there's a program map, actually, and if anyone is interested in it, and I, I would highly recommend people that they... Uh, Get check the website corkcity.ie forward slash cork and a fork fest or even just put cork and a fork fest into your search bar or any of the social media platforms and it will bring you to the website uh, and there's a listing of what's on but there's also a downloadable map and there's a downloadable program as well which shows the range of events that are going to happen over those five days I love that like, one the cork tasting trail guided tour that sounds like fun doesn't it yeah, and look, it's it, and that, that's I suppose the nice thing is that it, you mightn't just see one one restaurant. You might get to go to five different venues and have, have five different different tasting plates. But like, there's even simple things, Neil. Like even just people that are interested in food who might want to just do a cookbook shop, a swap, just outside the city library for Wednesday to Saturday. There's going to be a cargo bike there, and if anyone has an unused. A cookbook, they can just drop it in there and swap it for one that they might like. What's I see? Learn to bake bread. Love it. Great idea. Yeah, lots yeah, of, I think lots that's of, Yeah, lots of music as well. Jazz on Pembroke Street and things. Yeah, Wednesday, there's, Wednesday there's night's going to be great, actually, if you don't mind. Just hold on a second there, because I think I've got yeah. Monty, Paul Montgomery, who's got Clancy's, he's got Conway's Yard, he's got Shebeen, he's got Atlas, he's got JJ Walsh, he's got more pubs he can remember what he has anymore now. Monty, good morning. Good morning, Neil. What can we expect Wednesday night then for the tickets that I'm giving away or people can book? A big feast, by all accounts. Well, I'm sitting here now in, uh, in Nash 19 with Claire Nash, which is going through, going through the showcase dinner that's going, to be, um, that's going to be here on Wednesday evening, which is going to be sensational. So um, a, lot of, a lot of effort has gone into it, a lot of work, and you know, it's going to be the best of what's local and um, a lovely seasonal taste of all of the locality we trade in. So it's going to be a special dinner on Wednesday. You want to you wanna arrive at that dinner hungry, wouldn't you? I'll tell you, you would. I, I think Claire said there's about seven courses going to be um, put out for people there. So, And I know the tickets were €125, Euros, but I think people are getting €150 Euros worth of, of and drinks included in that. Of um, you know, So you, you asked there about discounts and that. <clears throat> we're, we're definitely going to give people value for money on Wednesday night because anyone who's attending that menu will absolutely come away saying that is the best of the best in it, Yeah, it's, it's actually pointless me going through all of the events that'll be happening because there are yeah. too many. Whiskey and cheese tasting up at the Shelburne's another one. I love the idea of the pizza making workshop for kids at the marina. I also see another authentic Italian pizza making and tasting masterclass with Oak Fire Pizza. So it's great that everybody's on board on this, isn't it? Because it, it, we have it, the produce, like, so we need to use we, it. We, yeah, and what's great about it is, again, it's, 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 and from the Princess Street point of view here, that we've been working together, all the traders on the street, including the non-food people, I have to say, with John Joyce as well, and, and Gerald McCarthy, everyone, everyone is throwing their weight in and supporting this because, you know, it's not just, I mean, it, it's a food festival, but, 
we see it here, the camaraderie that's there between all the traders and yeah. our streets. COVID has brought us together as, yeah. a, as a street community. And I think this is, you know, with the help of Cork City Council again, and John came to this idea. And I just think it's, it's something for us to look forward to. Yeah, well, I'm very proud of the city when I see events like this. Tutored beer tasting at Elbow Lane. Bring it on. What else yeah. have we got here? Um, free, free pizza and beer tasting at the Franciscan Well. Bring that on. <laughs> Fabulous, yeah. Fabulous. Every time. So, Listen, I wish, I wish I had more time. I'll probably come back and start teening up some more tomorrow and Wednesday. Uh, but I just want to give away some vouchers for your latest edition, I believe, J.J. Yeah. Walsh's. Who was J.J. Walsh, for God's sake? J.J. Walsh was a very famous character who, um, who fought in 1916 in the GPO alongside Michael Collins. So at this time of year, when we celebrate Michael Collins' 100 years passing, um, he he came. He was a, a great GA man in Cork, a really strong Republican, and was chairman of the Cork GA for many many years and revived the Talton Games. So, JJ but did Walsh, he have a pub there or something at some stage? He did. That, that, that was Turner's Hotel, which was the Grafton. All <laughs> oh, right. And and that's where many of the meetings, many of the meetings of Michael Collins and Tom Barry and all those were held there. So he was great friends and comrades with all those people. But he, it's a huge. Republican and huge GA history associated with J.J. Walsh. So we're very proud to have a lot of the memorabilia and it's going to be a showcase um, traditional bar and it's going to be wonderful. So we're opening our doors on, on Thursday and we'll be open late seven nights a week. Let's we're, give those vouchers we're, we're, away. Yeah. Yeah, appreciate Great. it. So, Cheers, Monty. See you later in the week. Okay, just to recap, just very finally then, John Hayes, if people want more information, where do they go? Again, it's uh, corkcity.ie forward slash Cork on a Fork Fest. And as I say, just put Cork on a Fork Fest into any of your search bars, even on social media platforms, and it'll bring you straight to the website. Fair play to you. Couldn't be simpler. Kicks off on Wednesday. Thank you, John. Thank you, Paul. Last bit of business this morning, a 250-year voucher for JJ Walsh. Let me just get stuck in here, see how we go. Finn, good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? Favourite favorite place in Cork. You have th- 60 seconds. You need to convince me. Um, your clock I, start- it- what? Hang on a second. Your clock starts now. Um, I love Ahakista, just outside Dunmanway, it's in County Cork. Um, it's, I go down there once a year. It's where the Airinde Memorial is. And since the crash in 85 or the explosion, the people have gone over and built a gold time dial uh, to, to mark the anniversary every year. And local people have integrated with the Indian pe- victims of the, the families of the victims and it's the most beautiful peaceful place scenic wise and there's a man down there and he built a house and he put a conservatory onto his house and he cooked a meal for people every night of the year just for company because all his family were wiped out there. I know it's a bit of a tragic story but the, the whole place is absolutely beautiful and then the local neighbourhood has, em- has embraced the Air India families and it's like a festival every year and it's fantastic to go down there. Mm-hmm. You're 11 seconds shy. Well, the, the food down there, they've got little restaurants and they do a fish and, and a pier where you can fish. You can actually go down there and fish off the pier without a license, I might add. And it's great fun and to go down there in the sunshine is fantastic. Uh, you got there in the end. Hang in there. I'm well impressed, I have to say. Great story about a hakis to Bernadette. Hi, how are you? Are you ready? Your clock starts now. We are so fortunate to be living in such an extraordinary, beautiful county of Cork. It is full of spectacular places to visit, all with natural beauty. But my number one has to be Kinsale. Entries in town, big Kinsale Harbour is breathtaking. To view the history of Charles Fort and James Fort, and just to smell the sea air as you pass the little coves and beaches into the town. 
the walks and sites in the town are full of beautiful coloured buildings and you can stroll around those little streets and saunter over towards Bullman through the fabulous Skilly Walk. It's a wonderful place full of culture and heritage all around you. Swimming in the dock, beach or across the bay to, by the castle or in the lower cove or even in summer bay. Summer cove. It's just all fun. Winter or summer. You were called for choice when you decide to have a coffee or a bite to eat with these wonderful restaurants around every corner. The atmosphere is always relaxing and sale, full of happy people. It's part of the wild... Yes, you got there. Did you write that down? Was that scripted? I know I put down um, bullet points. Well, bullets. You're a, I'm a big fan of bullets myself. Hold on there, Bernadette. Pat O'Keefe. Pat, are you ready? Yes, indeed, indeed. Okay, you have a tough act to follow now. Your clock starts now. Uh, I've been to Germany and all over the world. I've travelled a lot. And I, uh, Oliver Plunker Street is absolutely lovely now. It has the same kind of atmosphere as you would get any any city abroad. Uh, the smell of the coffee there, the, the ice cream parlours. You have the English market, of course, nearby. And then up by the GPO there, you have the Echo Boy, and he's chanting out the old Cork tradition. Uh, the place is just absolutely alive. Then you have the night time, you have the, the, the clubs, and the, the whole place is buzzing. You've Clancy's Bar there, which is absolutely amazing. Then you go up along to the very top there, and, and, and you have um, the, the Oliver Plunkett Bar, lovely food. You know, it's the place is just thriving with... with, with um, Joy, you know what I mean? There's a great buzz there. And like I said, you have the ice cream parlours, there's uh, frap shops, there's just everything. Anything you would get in any city, anywhere in the world. It, uh, that's in uh, Oliver Plunkett Street. I don't, think Street. I don't think Clancy's Fantastic. is on Oliver Plunkett Street, is it? I think, it's that, it's, I think it might be Prince's Street, I think. Yeah, to his office, to his office, to his office. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what do you think guys uh, pick a winner Pat Bernadette or Finn and I think the winner today is gone thanks, thanks Bern- no it's not unfortunately Pat it's Bernadette wins for today oh sorry <laughs> my apologies for that my friend I thought she was on four but she's not listen good luck to you all the same thanks for your effort she there? She's gone. Oh, no, it's a shame. All right. Well, listen, Bernadette, although you're gone, a 250 euro voucher for you for J.J. Walsh's on uh, Oliver Plunkett Street. It is on, yeah, Oliver Plunkett Street. Opens on the 18th. So tomorrow you'll have another opportunity. Think about it. 60 seconds, your favourite Cork place and why. Uh, 60 seconds on air to win a 250 euro voucher. Bernadette, well done. Your bullet points paid off. You can be all right. No, I can hear you perfectly. Yeah, I ran into the radio. Okay. I, I love Kinsale, so everything was from the heart. Ah, no, you won. You won't be spending Thanks. it in Kinsale. You'll be spending it in Cork City, but congratulations and well done. All right? Thank you so You're much. You're welcome, you. and Kinsale is a beautiful place. You're absolutely right. You described it gorgeously. Another 250 euro voucher to give away tomorrow for JJ Walsh's. Think about it. 60 seconds in your favourite Cork place and where. Lines are open now. I have three family passes to give away for Cork City Jail in Sunday as well. It's a magnificent castle-like building, once housing um, many, many prisoners for many centuries. W- open way back in the early 1800s. If you haven't been there, it is unique and it's well worth the tour. You can book directly at CorkCityJail.com. We have three family passes to give away right now for Cork City Jail and Sunday as well. Get dialing 0818-104-106. I'd wish I had more time to tell you about it. Maybe tomorrow. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.